Greetings, greetings, greetings and salutations, one and all. How you doing, how you doing, how you doing? Welcome, welcome to the end of the night shift week. It's Real Talk Wednesday, also known as Marlon's favorite night shift show. I want to welcome you each and everyone to the broadcast. something with me and voice this week I played the track with voice on Monday and here I am playing voice again today this time the track called far from finished how you doing how you doing how you doing I want to say big ups to all those who are locked in right now, those on TuneIn Radio, the night shift to DJ Kevin Stew, those on NIE Radio out of New Jersey, I hope you guys keeping warm up there, I know it's not easy, I want to say big ups to those who are locked in on PEMGTV.com. Thank you to the Pulsey Media Group crew. 
working hard to get KevinStew.com back up and running. Truly appreciate love the efforts. I want to say thank you to Pulse Media Group for sponsoring this segment of the broadcast also. When being in the moment is priceless, they provide innovative streaming and recording solutions for you. So you have an event that you want to stream live, a wedding, a funeral, church service, seminar. Everybody is streaming everything now because it's all virtual, right? Well, Pulse Media Group can set you up with the, the connection that you need. Get them a call 754-999-6020. Or check them out at pulseemg.com. say thanks to Althea and her healing heavenly hands. Althea is a licensed massage therapist operating out of Broad County, North Miami-Dade and South Palm Beach counties. She comes to you bringing her table, her oils, her healing heavenly hands and she comes COVID free with 20 years of experience. She definitely want to leave COVID free also. With 20 years and an hour more worth of experience. Give her a call, 954-655-9000. Or email her at theolator at att.net. Thanks to Reggae Global Entertainment. They'll act as your booking agents, handle your tour management. Take care of your business registration, legal service referrals, music production, marketing and promotion, and more. Call them on 954-998-8034. Or check them out at reggaeglobalentertainment.com. They also handle marketing and promotion. Did I mention that? Yep, they do. Big ups also to GMAT Music Solutions. Bringing your event to life. Providing sound, light and stage production services, musical equipment, PA systems, audio engineers, DJs, bands, musicians, singers. Get them a call, 754-307-GMAC. That's 754-307-4622. Or check them out online, gmapmusicsolutions.com. You can also do your online shopping there. I'm so far from finished.
Zona Voice. And with me tonight is someone who is so far from finished, and I'm so grateful that she is far from finished. Those of you that tuned in on Monday, you got an introduction. And tonight we get to get to get to know her just a little bit more. One of the guests from Monday night, I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Sandra Maria Anderson. Hey Sandra, how you doing? Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me back again. You're I'm welcome. Just, it's such a privilege and a pleasure to um, to hear your voice and to, to hear what you do and to be back on again just to provide the education and the awareness that I believe um, that's lacking in our communities um, today. So thank you so much for having me. And I am, I am grateful that you could take the time out to come back. So you're welcome and thank you. It's my pleasure. I am, I am at your service. It's absolutely a, a pleasure. Now, I, I, I had titled tonight's broadcast, Journey to Restoration. And that's pretty much what, what I'd, I'd love to hear from you, what, what this whole journey has been like. You know, and, and on Monday, when we got introduced... You mentioned it was it was talking about the whole taking innocence project, <laughs> um, a, a documentary series on which you were featured, and we spoke also with Dr. Jessica Vera, with 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 Nisi Johnson and Tanika Clark, who are the producers of the executive producers of of this documentary series. And um, I met Nisi, like I mentioned, on Bar Talk with Luke Ballantyne one Sunday evening as, as he did that broadcast. And I was just blown away by what she was talking about with human trafficking and this documentary series. Yes. And to meet you, just, I thought, when I, when I thought I could not be blown any further away, boom, here is... Sandra Maria Anderson blowing me even further away. And I, I, I am grateful that you are here today and you are able to share your story and in addition, help turn around and help people on their journey. But in order to do that, you had to go through some things. And as, as we, we go through the broadcast tonight, I, I'm going to put up the number that people can call or text, uh, which is 773-789-STU, 773-789-7839. If you want to ask a question or just want to say, Sandra, thank you, <laughs> you know, you, you can do so. You can call, you can text, you can WhatsApp, you can Telegram on that number. And... um. In fact, yeah, you can call. <laughs> Don't WhatsApp call. Just call. 
and you can speak directly with Sandra. All right, so this journey started out with you as a seven-year-old. Yes. And for those who didn't get to hear and didn't get to go to check out the podcast as yet. Oh, by the way, um, the Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew is also is, has just now started a podcast. So it is being populated as we speak. But Monday's broadcast is already on there. Last night's broadcast is on there. You can go to anchor.fm and check that out. The, the Night Shift with, Kevin Stew, with DJ Kevin Stew podcast and you can get to hear it but tonight it's 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 just sandra and me and sandra gets to tell some of her story and 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 again emphasizing the journey and we get to understand we get we get to peer into the mindset of someone going through this journey because it's it's one thing to hear of the experience it's another thing to be reliving it and sharing what is going on and had been going on in your mind as you went through it and also the journey through therapy. So yes. it started at age seven. Could you paint a picture and, and, and guide us along the way, please? Absolutely. And first of all, Kevin, I'm, again, I want to thank you for having me. I'm so humbled when I hear you speak. And it's almost like I'm living outside of myself, uh, listening to you and um, even your introduction. I'm so humbled by that because it's not I, you know, it's it's Christ. It's it's all Christ in me. And that's the only reason that I'm even on this line today, that you're hearing my voice today mm-hmm. is because of his grace and mercy. Because if it wasn't for him, I would not be here. That's the facts. And that's a that's a hard truth. And um, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know what? You made a choice to to pick yourself up. You made a choice to go to counseling. You made a choice to, to pull your life together. And, yes. I, and I did make a choice. However, it was God, that his grace and mercy that allowed me that choice. So many, mm-hmm. so many people have perished um, going through the same thing that I went through. So he yes. allows us to go through. Uh, so many dangers, toils, and snares, like the song says, Amazing Grace. And he allows us to come out um, with these amazing stories. And I always say, everyone has a story. And my story started um, in Tampa. That's where I was born. And it started with an amazing woman that I am um, honoring with a foundation. That's my sister, Joyce. Um, when I graduate this year in the spring, um, I will have the the gratitude and the joy of, uh, of putting that, um, the stole that goes around my neck for graduation that Mm -hmm. will have her name on it because I dedicate it to her. And, um, when I received my master's, I gave that to my mom, but, but I was waiting to give this one to my sister, but she, um, she passed away before, um, I could give it to her. Condolences once again. Um, and it was also mental health issues and, and there's so many, uh, women, especially African-American women, women of color, minority communities, where they're going through mental health issues. Mm-hmm. The problem with us is we don't see it as mental health. We don't address it. There's no language to communicate 
what we're experiencing and how it's manifesting, but we have to go back. And that's what God did for me, Kevin. He, um, he, he took me back on a journey to my childhood and it it was a place that I never wanted to revisit. So I want to make that very clear. I never wanted to go back there. I wanted to take every secret to the grave. And I told myself, yep, that's going to go to the grave. I will never bring it up. I didn't want to cause my mother pain. Right. I didn't want to have to have that burden of what happened to me uh, fall to my children or my grandchildren. And so it was the Lord again that called me and told me, I need you to tell your story. I need you to write it. And I remember um, feeling so content just to be left alone, just to be happy that I survived just to be able to breathe another day and be safe and be alone and isolated. Isolation has always uh, been a very kind and compassionate friend to me. Mm-hmm. And so people who go through trauma oftentimes will do either one or two things. We will isolate and just um, kind of uh, bury ourselves away in our work, you know, taking care of our children, taking yeah. care of our home until they grow up. And then we find ourselves, you know, finding something else to do, or it will, we will implode because as stress, as we're dealing with stressors in life and, and African-American women, women of color, minority women, we have such a, bur- a burden of stress and we won't even know uh, that we're dealing with things that come from childhood until it manifests in our adulthood with that just one more stressor, that right. one more thing, that one phone call. The that straw one that breaks the camel's back, right? Amen, Kevin. That straw that breaks the camel, mm-hmm. camel's back. And now what happens is all the things that we've repressed from childhood, what it looked like in my life, it was my childhood. It, it, and it happened the, the the terrible thing happened at seven, but th- that that my heart was broken before seven. My heart was broken when my parents divorced, and I remember my mother and father um, um, in Tampa. That's where I was born, Tampa, Florida. And my parents was they're my life. They're all I know. And for so many children, we don't have the language to tell our parents that they're fighting and they're bickering and they're splitting up. Splits us up. Yes. And it literally, literally does psychologically and physiologically. What does it look like psychologically? We splinter, we split in so many different directions, depending on the dynamics of that divorce. And we know now divorce is over 50 percent in our in our communities, including the in, including the church, Kevin. So yes. I'm speaking to the choir now, speaking to a lot of people who have been through broken homes or, or, or single-family homes where they don't even know their father. So it starts so young in our life. Mm-hmm. And and oftentimes, yes, we uh, when we have a, a caregiver that's, that's really kind to us and taking care of us, and oftentimes it's those single mothers that's growing us up, they're doing the best they can, but they can't be a father. Yeah. And though we can say, you know what, my father wasn't in my life, I didn't need him or whatever, that's just not, the, that's just not true. That's not true, yes. It is not because if, if if we didn't need our father, then how did we come to be? It wasn't right. immaculate conception that happened with Mary. That was it. That 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 broke that mold, and that was Christ. With us, we are we are the product of a mother and a father. And any time that we grow up in that dynamic, it's not there. 
listen, my hats are off to women who've done it and done it well and, and put their children through college and, and done well. But for the masses, Kevin, mm-hmm. for the masses of people, there are just so, so many social determinants to, to that. And so, with, so for me, it, it happened with my parents. They left Tampa thinking, you know what, we're going to start off fresh in Fort Lauderdale. Things are going to be better. But it wasn't because until we deal with our issues, my dad was an alcoholic. You know, he was a bought up at a time in, our, in history that a lot of us only seen on a, on a movie screen or on television. Um, yeah. He was 20 years my mother's senior. So born in 1921 on mm. the 4th of July. My dad was everything to me. And so to see them divorce because they just didn't see eye to eye, my father dealt with a lot of depression and a lot of internalized racism because that's what we do when we grow up in a racist society, and he did. And yeah. so oftentimes that's taken out, that's projected on those close to us and those most vulnerable. And that looks like the, the spouse, and that looks like the children. Mm-hmm. And so my father just fell under the weight of such an oppressive racist um, Florida where we grew up. And and my mom was uh, a Christian, and so she had that cushion of her faith. My father didn't have that. He had a, a flask of gin. And so mm. I, I explain it that way in my book because that's the way it happened. And yes. so coming to a new city um, was just a new city. They bought the same issues with them because until, like I said, until we change ourselves internally, until we're teachable and ready to learn something beyond, excuse me, what's been introduced to us, then we will stay the same person no matter where we've moved, no matter who we marry, no matter what dynamics change on the inside, on the outside, unless the inside change, then nothing else will change. And so Right. You know, fast forward today as a counselor, and, and I wanted to be a counselor. I deliberately set out to be a counselor uh, when my dreams of being a police officer and my dreams of going to the military um, was crushed because of the manifestations of my of my trauma that I went through. Mm. Now, today, God has he you know, he has brought me to a place where I'm able to help families and marriages and children and families. And that's what I do as a family and marriage therapist. And so um, back to your question about, about when I was growing up, my parents divorced. Um, There was horrific domestic violence in my, in my family. Uh, Watching my mother and my father fight. It just tore me apart. I didn't physically fight each other. Oh yes. Physically fighting physically. I'm talking physical fighting. And it was, horrific. And in the mind of a young child, um, we can't differentiate um, what's happening. We can't, we can't understand it. We can't make it out as children. So what happens is we internalize it. So it's like, it's my fault. You know, what am I doing wrong? I need to be better. I need to be a better child. So my parents will stay together. I did not have the language to understand that then, Kevin. Mm. There was no way I could articulate that. All I know is I wanted my family to stay together. You know, I hated their fighting. It yeah. broke. I mean, my sister Joyce would gather us on the top of the stairs and just pull us together and say, go back to sleep. It's okay because their fighting would wake us up. And how many people that are listening to us right now can remember the fighting and the fussing and the the horrific things that little ears and little eyes have to see. And we can't 
organize that in our head. We yeah. can't, but what is happening, right. and I can tell you what's happening, is your child is developing ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, which really manifest through their entire life cycle, where you think they're okay because they have shelter and food, and they're, they see, they're seemingly safe, and they're not. Mm-hmm. They're not. They take those, those, um, those experiences into their adulthood, and their adolescence, into their adulthood, and it will manifest. And in negative ways. And so with me going through my parents' divorce and and then my mother remarries. And meanwhile, before they divorced, when they were breaking up, we were in the care of someone that didn't care for us. Mm. So we were being abused by this this female caregiver um, who was already, you know, I believe that she was just um, mentally sick. But what does that look like? What does mentally sick mean? Right. That just means that you have some unresolved grief and trauma in your own life. Yes, that's yes. all that means. You know, we we need to demystify and destigma destigmatized mental illness because yeah. that's all mental illness is. It's something that's happened in your life that remains unaddressed unconfronted and and unresolved and it's not until you resolve it then you'll see the um the affect dysregulation or the emotional dysregulation starts to subside but not until you address it mm-hmm. and and by the way kevin unfortunately in the african-american community we make meaning out of those manifestations in two ways how we were brought up. So if we were brought up in the church, mm-hmm. guess how we're going to make meaning of those manifestations? It's a devil. It's a devil. It's a demon. Mm. It's a, you know what? You got a devil. You know what? He has a demon. And we just need to take it to the altar and cast it out. Right. You know, there there is demonic activity. The Bible says it, and I believe it. However, we cannot make meaning of everything um, as as a demonic force or as some type of spiritual connotation when there is unresolved trauma in your life. So this is how we make meaning the same way. If I was bought up by wolves, let's just say I was raised by wolves Mm -hmm. and I start having certain dreams or certain manifest uh, manifestations in my life where I'm either hearing voices or something. Guess how I'm going to make meaning. I'm going to make meaning of the trees and the animals and mm-hmm. every little scurrying creature that that I um, that I was introduced to as a child. Right. So that's how I'm gonna make meaning, and that's why no matter what culture we live in, how we grow up, whether it's Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, um, a Rasta, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. we're gonna make meaning according to what's been introduced to us in our environment and our and our upbringing. However. I do subscribe to Christianity as a as a born again a believer in Christ, but yes. I I also know how to differentiate between what's demonic and what's traumatic, mm. and there are two totally different things. Right. It, it it's interesting that you would say that because a lot of people I know, growing up in church myself and and having friends from various religions um that is pretty much a go-to for yes. a lot of them and it it really doesn't really it doesn't really matter much the religions the ones that 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 
sprout off the Christian Catholic faith, whether you're Adventist or Protestant or what whatever. But those that use that same Bible, um, it doesn't really matter. They all pretty much go the same route and yes. say, hey, you know, we're going to have to cast out this demon. Let's go pray. Exactly. So everything is angels or demons. Yes. Nothing is inside. So because the ego is protecting that id. And when I say ego and id, don't, don't let that, um, don't, don't lean away, lean into this mm-hmm. because I'm going to break it down so you can understand it. And so the ego is just that part of us, that conscious part of us that um, can oftentimes get in the way of, of, of being humble enough to say, you know what, I need help. We don't yes. like that, especially in the African-American community or communities of color, because when we've been so marginalized and so discriminated against, we don't want your help. We don't want any help outside of our culture. So who helps us in our culture? People within our culture. Well, who are they? What are they offering us and what are they giving us? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they're transmitting the same trauma that they've experienced because parents and caregivers cannot give what they themselves do not possess. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So the same way I speak English right now, mm-hmm. my parents didn't speak Greek, so I don't understand Greek. And if I'm going to learn a different language, like I've learned, um, I've, le- I've learned Spanish and I've learned some Creole, mm-hmm. I had to learn that language. I had to learn that that new thing, and I had to be teachable enough to learn it. Right. Well, it's Let's bring that back to the culture. Let's bring that back to to religion and how we make meaning of traumatic experiences. The only way you're going to learn something outside of what's been introduced to you is to be teachable. And when I um, came to the end of my traumatic journey in my own life, my amazing counselor, who is now in heaven with Mm -hmm. my sister Joyce, his name is Dr. Paul Hextrom. He has an he has an awesome uh, series called Confronting Your Anger, because oftentimes we rage only when we are safe to do so. Mm. Otherwise, we will repress and repress and repress. So whether you are a woman or a man who went through sexual uh, violations the way I did and sexual exploitation at seven years old, remember I said my mother remarried. Right. And when she remarried, she remarried a merchant marine someone in the military, and he was a seaman. He was a captain of his ship in the Navy. And so, I'm sorry, in the Marines. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but he was a seaman nonetheless. When he would come home on furlough, which, by the way, we never knew when that was, um, he would always just isolate. He was not the fatherly type. And again, he was like 20 years my mother's senior. Mm. And so... Um, and it would happen um, when I was seven years old. Um, I was always this nerdy child. Oh, I love comic books. I love the Super Friends and Wonder Woman and Batman and comic books. You know, I just yeah. loved. I just loved daydreaming. And my sister really instilled in us this amazing imagination. This this very extensive imagination because she taught us about Christ at a very early age. So we knew about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. Like, that's magical to be in a fire that doesn't burn you. And Mm. then be in a lion's den where lions don't eat you. You know, she woke that up in us at a very early age. So 
um, when I lost my childhood was when I just earned enough money by cleaning up my mother's room and doing extra chores around the house that my mom allowed me to do. I earned enough money to finally buy this comic book of my dreams, which was really about Wonder Woman mm. with her lasso of truth and her beautiful boots. And, you know, she was just this warrior and I was such a tomboy. Yes. So I really resonated with that. I just really connected and resonated with everything she was about. And that day, my stepfather called me into the room to clean up my mom's room. And that wasn't anything new for me. I've always went in her room to clean up because that's how I earned money to put in my my piggy bank. And she always say, save of something you save some of what you earn. So I didn't think anything strange. And I've just thought in my mind, well, he's home on furlough. Maybe she just wants him to rest. But um, to save the details, I, I went in it as a child and I came out lost. I came mm. out scattered. Um, I literally felt my my soul above me because I could not um, organize in my seven-year-old mind what was happening to me. I just know that he whacked me on the to, enough to hit me on the floor and um, dragged me on the bed and then threw a pornography magazine on the bed. And that's why today I detest pornography. Um, I know we have our freedoms in this country and around the world to watch it, yes. but I believe that it really um, causes men to become beasts. And if you don't believe that, talk to a man that's been so hijacked, uh, his neurotransmitters in his brain, which is just a reward center of the brain that that touches um, the part of us that gets us hooked and addicted. The same part of the brain gets addicted to heroin or crack or any other uh, substance, but it's the same thing. It, it, it touches the same part of the brain. And yes, yes. so when we think we can uh, play around with something that's so debased, where you're watching these images of people and body parts and things that's supposed to be a sacred part of our humanity, a sacred part that belongs to uh, uh, in, in a... Um, in a place of holy matrimony, you know, God created sex and he created it enjoyable. He created it. He gave us the ability to orgasm. I mean, God gave us that that's innately yeah. in us. So he wants us to have this amazing sexual experience. The problem with pornography, it so hijacks the mind of a human being that it makes you a beast. I couldn't say it better than Ted Bundy, the serial killer mm. that, that chronicled his life in death row um, and, and did an interview with an evangelical preacher and told that preacher that he got addicted to pornography at 12 years old and that started him. It started him to lose himself, he said. And I quote, and Ted Bunny was just this very handsome, very charismatic Caucasian man that grew to become a beast, a serial killer. Um, that killed countless uh, women and, and girls because, according to him, and I believe it uh, from my studies that I've done as a doctoral student, that um, pornography turns you into. And so with my stepfather, the first thing he threw on the bed was a, a Hustler magazine. And and I, re just, I remember as a seven-year-old looking at that and saying, what's happening and why? And I kept asking, why is this happening? And then as he started to rape me, I remember um, asking for my dad. 
And by the way, I hadn't seen my dad since the divorce. Mm. Because unfortunately, parental alienation is so prevalent in our society, especially yes. among the African-American communities. We feel yes. like if they can't control the ch um, the, the, the person, then they yeah. control the children. Yes. And so now the children become pawns in this game, this this horrific game mm -hmm. that that destroys the identity of the child because you're trying to make the child choose between a mother and a father when they are the com the the, com the composite of both. Yes. So it destroys the fabric of the family. And trust me, Kevin, when you destroy the fabric of the family, you destroy the community. When you destroy the community, you destroy the nation because the nation goes down to the lowest common denominator, which mm -hmm. is the family. Yes. It's the family. And that's why I, I've become a family therapist because I, I, I know it firsthand what it feels like to lose my, my, my family unit. That was the first bro broken heart, that mm -hmm. divorce. It yeah. broke me and my siblings heart because we love both my mom and dad. And now the fighting caused my dad not to be around. And when your father is not around, the monsters find a way in monsters mm. in the way of a boyfriend, a stepfather, a uncle, so-called uncle or cousin or whomever. Yes. There is safety in the, in the family, in the family where there's a mom and my dad and I was safe. But fast forward on now, um, uh, that happened for three years. It happened until actually until I be became 11 years old and my sister Joyce um, she had al already, by the way, moved out of the house and married and had children. But when she found out, I I start I stopped going to school because that's what happens when you're touched. Unfortunately, we look at that as belligerence or truancy. Back in those days, we called it truancy. Yes. When you just stop going to school, mm -hmm. you just stop caring and you start getting kind of grown. They call it grown, but it's really not grown. It's really trauma. But we can't explain it as trauma. Right. So we and nobody takes the time out to sit with you to find out what is going on. Preach it. That's exactly what I wrote in my book. No one asks you. They just label you a delinquent or they label you a troublemaker. Right. Or they label you. And now they put you on all kind of medication, you know, which is just a farce. And uh, um, it's a complete sham in my in my opinion. And I won't. I will not withdraw that opinion to put a child on, on these horrific medications where yes. they are totally disorganizing their brain further. Okay. You never, we never needed a, a pill to control a dog. If I can contrain a dog and a dolphin and a whale and a chimpanzee and all kind of other species of animal without a pill, I can, I can train up a child the way they should go. Mm-hmm. So you will not buy me into those pharmaceuticals, um, which are taking over the, 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 the black community because the father is not there. That child is acting out because if the father is there and there's trauma, then the child is going to act out. We are not looking deeper. We're not looking at the underlying issues of these behaviors. We're right. just looking at the behaviors and then we're doing three things. We're medicating them. We're incarcerating them. And then we further exploit them. With, with other um, issues that uh, we'll probably need a whole nother show to go into that. And, to and that it, starts, it starts, what it does is, is that it, it, it in introduces and sets into motion a perpetual cycle. A perpetual cycle. 
and we we often we so often miss it yes that we go straight to the medication that can fix them and it's medication after medication and and one of the things and i talk about this all the time especially on my tuesday my health show I, my health broadcast I, I i say how we are our symptoms end up getting treated and the causes just remain and it's Absolutely. a big money-making business because yes. you keep treating the symptom and you have to keep coming back and buying more and more and more of yes. this treatment. And it's, it's, it's the same thing that happens with a drug addict. They're trying yes. to, to stop the pain that they're experiencing and they medicate and they medicate, whichever, whether it be street-side pharmaceuticals or or. or over-the-counter pharmaceuticals Absolutely. and they self-medicate and self-medicate and, and to treat that that ailment but not the cause not the cause and, and you know what that equates to kevin it, it equates to a boat and this is how i explain it to my mentees and my clients it's like a boat on the ocean that mm-hmm. a beautiful boat a wonderfully fearfully awesomely manufactured boat and all of a sudden the boat starts flooding with water So we start bailing out the water and that's what pharmaceutical does. It try, it, it attempts to bail out the water Mm -hmm. without ever asking what's going on in the bow of the boat. What's going on at the bottom of the boat? Where are the holes in the boat? How do we plug up these holes and fix the boat? Mm -hmm. So we don't, we just keep bailing it out. And you know what? Eventually this is what happens. We get tired of bailing it out Mm -hmm. and we don't know what this is doing to the brain. And, and let me tell you in the words of Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who I respect, I respect this amazing doctor. He wrote the book, the body keeps the score. It's an Mm -hmm. amazing, amazing psychologist. And I, and I respect him highly because he puts this in perspective in his book. And he says that there are a place for, uh, pharmaceuticals, there's a place for it, especially when there's a crisis situation, when you have someone that is suicidal or homicidal, or they're in need of a Baker Act. And there are certain, there are certain cases where that's needed. But what the problem is now is when we get them um, sedated and we Mm -hmm. get them out of harm's way, we don't look at the underlying problem is that got them to the point where they have that affect dysregulation or emotional dysregulation in the first place. So what we do, we keep bailing it out with the medicine and we keep the medicine going. And that's why the pharmaceutical company is a billion dollar business. Now, ask me, uh, answer this, if if you will, Kevin, if I'm making a billion dollars from you, Mm -hmm. do I want to cure you? Oh, no. And that's exactly it. <laughs> they're, they're not in this to, for our well-being. They're exactly. in it for their betterment, for their, for their pockets. Exactly. And, and if people exactly. take, take a moment to really look at it, it is often the, the, the quote-unquote minorities and the disenfranchised that end up being the source of 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 their millions absolutely it is because absolutely. you're not going to find that aff, uh, that affluent family get to being strung up on all these drugs it's not going to happen no they're going to get the best of therapy and psychotherapy there you go. 
There and psychotherapy go. is a holistic therapy that sits down and it, what it does, it takes your hand and, and it takes my hand because I'm not doing this work with you, for you. I'm doing it with you. Yes. Even God don't do work for us. He does it with us and through us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm going to sit down with you. And if the, if the water in your boat is full, I'm going to, I'm going to help get rid of some of that water for you. That's called your STURBS, your short-term energy-relieving behaviors. These are behaviors that we do because we have reached that point where we're flooding. The boat has flooded. Mm-hmm. So we're smoking. We're having sex, risky sex oftentimes. Um, we're doing drugs. Like you said, we're self-medicating. We're overeating. We're gorging yes. ourselves with food. And and so we're STURBing out because we need to get rid of this this, this energy, and these are short-term energy-relieving behaviors, which we call STURBs. And so this is what I do. I address the STURBs first, just enough to take some of the water out of your boat. But I'm not going to spend my time dip, um, uh, bailing water out of your boat as a counselor. No, no, no. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to give you the skills you need. Mm-hmm. To get through this, to tread water until we can plug up that hole. So we're going to tread water together. I'm going to let you know you're safe and you're not going to drown with me. But yeah. at the same time, we're going we fin- to we're gonna go deep sea diving. We're going to go under this boat together. We're going to come up when you need air. But mm-hmm. we're going to go down together. And we're going right. to find out where did this hole come from. Oftentimes, Kevin, that first hole came with the first touch. Yes. I can't tell you how many males and female clients that I have. Equally male and female. So this is not a, this is not gender biased. Right. Both being touched at the age of four, at the age of three, at the age of five. Ninety two percent of the clients that I speak to have been had experienced childhood sexual abuse. That's the first hole. The second hole often comes with the divorce or mm-hmm. someone moved away, someone that they've attached with that they've lost. We call that attachment injuries. We don't know what that what that is, but that's what that looks like. Let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like a grandmother that was in your life when your mom was either working or, you know, she was either maybe she strung out and, she, you know, she has challenges of her own. But that grandmother was there to love you and to rock you and to feed you, yes. and to coddle you. And that grandmother dies. Wow. Mm. Big hole. Yeah. Big hole in the boat, okay? Yeah. So, but you make it through that. You go to the front where you're grieving, but you didn't really handle that. You didn't really uh, deal with that. So, there's water coming in. Then it looks like you're going on a date and something happens. Maybe he leaves you for somebody else or maybe there's a date rape, okay? Mm-hmm. Then you go through something else and then you go through the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. By the time you're in your 20s, you have about seven holes in your boat. So, now... Very next thing that happens, whether it be a car accident, an injury, a divorce, um, domestic violence. Losing your job. uh, Losing your, thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Something as simple as losing your job, which Mm -hmm. is not simple, especially when you're living in survival mode already trying to make ends meet. So you see, you have all of this, all of these issues that you're not putting the pieces together. But what it looks like is the Jenga game. So if you ever heard about the Jenga game, mm-hmm. Jenga is pieces that you put on top. Then it's your turn, and then it's her turn, and then it's his turn. And everybody starts putting these pieces on top and on top and on top. And the one who puts the last piece on top that makes them all fall, they're the loser. 
right? That's yeah. how the Jenga game works. Right. That's what it looks like. Because stress is cumulative. And we think that it goes away and it doesn't. And when we don't deal with it, when we don't deal with those holes in the boat, every one of them, what happens is we start having emotional dysregulation and then we start hearing voices and then we start seeing things and then we start um, having these bipolar or schizophrenic manifestations. And now we're trying to say it's a demon and now we're trying to say it's something else, anything but us. There's the ego trying to protect the id. The id is that child that maybe got arrested in development And so for me, I was arrested in development at a very young age because I did not know that what was happening to me was going to follow me throughout my life cycle. And so Mm -hmm. what happened to me at that young age, at the divorce, at when I was raped at seven to 11, and then my trauma was complexed because it didn't end there. When I ran away from home, Statistics says when a a child runs away from home, within 48 hours, they will be trafficked. Mm. I did not know that then. But by the time I left, I ran away from home looking for my father. And I ran to my dad. But my dad was still in that, that state of depression and that state of alcoholism. And he could not help me. And I remember walking away from my dad that day because I just wanted to stay with him and I didn't want to go anywhere else. I just wanted to stay with my dad after I ran away from, I call myself run away from home um, because my sister Joyce found out that I, um, that I was skipping school and hanging in the woods and, and um, uh, not even skipping school. I just stopped going. I stopped bathing. Mm. I stopped, I stopped combing my hair. I, I, I wanted to look tattered and raggedy because I figured everyone would just leave me alone if I smelled awful and I looked bad. And, um, I, that's what happens to children when they're, when they go through that level of trauma, you just want everyone to leave you alone. And depending on who's around you, then you are ripe for the picking for gangs. You're ripe for the picking for these subcultures that we get into. You know what I mean? Whether it be different sexual orientation or gangs, we are ripe for the picking because now we have no identity. So anyone can come along and tell us who we are and what we are. And I remember um, my sister coming over to the house and she parked on the side of the road and she came in to get me and she put me in the car. Because she knew she needed to get me out of the house. How she knew, I don't know. But my sister has always been this very supernatural person. She's been this angel in in our life, my siblings and and me. And so Mm -hmm. she said, what happened? She says, what's going on? She says, tell me what's happening. You're you're skipping school. You're you're just, something is wrong. And I wouldn't tell her because... My stepfather told me if I ever said a word that he would kill my mother and kill me. Mm. And I already felt dead inside. So I'm like, you could do whatever you want with me. It doesn't matter. I felt dead after the very first rape. So, but I I love my mom and I didn't want to tell my mom. And that, so that, that lie held me hostage. And um, the only person I told um, 
and, and by the way, I didn't even tell my sister that day. She stayed on the curb with me and she would not leave. And we watched the sun go down and come back up in her car. She said, I'm not leaving until you tell me. And it's that, mm. it's that relentless love and her care through the years. Yeah. Uh, even before that happened, she would sing us lullabies in Tampa, you know, when my parents would fight just to help us to go to sleep. She was just an amazing human being. And that's why my book is uh, dedicated to my sister. That is why uh, the foundation that I'm that I'm establishing is in her name because she was just an amazing woman. But that day, that next day, the sun came up, and I finally broke down crying, and 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 she just held me, and I told her what happened, and she asked me how long it was happening, and I told her since seven, and I was eleven at this time, mm. and she held me and let me cry, but she didn't just do that because that day. She waited in the car. She knew my stepfather was home. And she went in her trunk right then and there. And she got a baseball bat out of the trunk. And I told her, I say, promise not to tell mom. Don't tell mom. And I was more afraid of my mom finding out than anything else happening. Anything else. And that's what we children go to. We just don't want to bring uh, shame on our family. Because if we do, we feel like it's our fault. Yes. Because we're not old enough to know that it's not. You know, we don't have the brain chemicals at that young age to be able to differentiate between that you did this, not that it's me. And those chemicals don't kick in until the dopamine, the norepinephrine, all these other hormones, they don't kick in until puberty. That's why we get the hair. Mm. That's why girls start to get their period and we get the hair under the arms. That's when those chemicals are kicking in. That's when we're moving from um, the, the, uh, into the, the stage of puberty. But before then, we, we can't differentiate. So everything is internalized. Everything is our fault. So yes. my sister gets out of the car. She grabs her baseball bat. And my stepfather walks out the door getting ready to take my mother to work because my mother's working and he's home on furlough. And she swings on my stepfather and they tussle and they fight. And I just remember the last thing I heard my sister said, said because I was, I was so stressed out. My nerves were already wrecked at 11 years old. My nerves were gone. Uh, I heard her saying, I'm going to crack your skull for what you did to my sister. That's what I remember her saying. And then when my mother came out of the house to go in the car, um, my, my sister backed away with her baseball bat. And she, and then my sister said, I'm going to watch you. You're going to die. She said, you will die for what you did to my sister. And it was just too much drama. It was drama on top of drama. And that's why I ran away. And so a long story short, I ran away. And because um, I didn't want to put my sister in danger or my mom or my family. Because, I, again, I felt like all this, this mess it's was your my fault. fault. Yeah. And when I ran away um, and left my dad, because, my, again, my dad was still where he was. I went to the Fort Lauderdale Beach. And I slept on the beach. I was homeless. And I would sneak inside of poolside bathrooms because I know the poolside bathrooms didn't have a lock. And you could just sneak in when, you, when there was an open air. And there was an open air bathroom at a place called the Biltmore. Mm -hmm. And it was just this open pool. You just have to go through the parking lot. And I just remember sneaking back in that bathroom and, and um, sneaking back in the bathroom and sleeping in the stall because I knew I could lock that stall and I could just hide away. Mm. And then if I would hear noise, I could sneak out. And that was my life for, for two days. And 
the the second the third day is the day that um, I was picked up by two African American men, and I'm look. I remember looking at these men like they could be my my brother or my uncles. They look they look like me, and these men trafficked me on a circuit from Fort Lauderdale Beach to Miami, and then back to Fort Lauderdale Beach, and there I was sold to a white man, um, uh, named Edward. And I stayed there until I was close to 12. And at 12, I went in uh, to the police department. The police uh, put me into juvenile until they found out my age and the circumstance because they don't ask questions. Uh, They see a black girl. They don't know what's going on. And um, unfortunately, in the black community, no matter what position you find yourself in, even a trafficked position, you're still looked at looked um, looked at as the perpetrator and never the victim. And it's still that way today in a lot of um, in a lot of positions in society. How long ago it, was this? So, so I am I am 53 today. So that was when I was. That was back in the that was back in the 80s, 70s, and 80s. Because wow. at that time, I remember um, that was 19, uh, that was 1979 and 80. By 1980, I was put inside a place in Fort Lauderdale called Lippman Shelter because I was just been moved around from foster home to shelter. And that's what you do when after they find out your age. And at 12, I was able to at 12 years old, I was able to get into a place called Lippman Shelter. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there until I ran away because I just wanted to be with my sister. And see, by this time, after uh, being at juvenile with the police, after getting out of uh, Edward's home, after all of this, um, something in my brain was telling me that I was going to die. I, I said I was going to live. I won't live to see 20. And that stayed with me until 20. Even after 20, it stayed with me. Um, but but not to go too far ahead, I always felt like I was going to die. So I just wanted to see my sister, Joyce before I died and I knew where she stayed. And so, um, I stayed with her for a little while, a long story shorter. Um, I ran away from there because I, I felt like everywhere I went, I was just trouble. So my brain by this time was so traumatized from the rapes and from the assaults and mm-hmm. from being trafficked yeah. that my brain was telling me just be alone because anybody that I'm around, I'm going to bring trouble. So I just need to be alone because I don't want to cause pain. I don't want to cause trouble. This is the facts. And I, I, I don't know if the listeners are able to grasp what I'm saying. And you probably won't unless you've been through a similar circumstance. But you literally, um, and this is where suicide comes in, mm-hmm. because you feel like I'm trouble. Like I caused all of this stuff. Like, you know, there's some there's something wrong with me. And so... Uh, so I ran away. I wait, got pregnant at 13 years old. Wait, one second. Sorry, uh-huh. Sandra. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, uh, and I, I'd probably just go on a journey now to find a, 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 a guy, a male that this has happened to. But tuning in is, is one of my friends from uh, the West Coast. And yes. she is saying, hi, Joy. She is saying, you know, she didn't want to tell her mom either, but for different reasons. So similar, a similar thing happened to her. 
and yeah. she said she's saying it's women it's not just black women it's women on a whole and oh definitely it's not just black women it's women yeah. on a whole and when i speak and and, and please mi don't misunderstand me when i'm speaking of african americans i'm just saying it's disproportionately happening yes. to african american but it's happening everywhere from oh, yeah. timbuktu to, to india to china to um to America and all throughout the Caribbeans. Trust me, I don't just um, counsel African-Americans. I counsel every single dem uh, demographic because we're all human. We're all one. But right. I'm just speaking um, that is disproportionately happening to African-American women and women of color. Why? Because if I, if you have a white woman that says she's been raped mm -hmm. and, or missing or trafficked and a black girl, tell me who the Amber Alert is going to go up for. Especially at, at that time in in, in at that time, U.S. history, gonna, exactly. I'm gonna yes. be I'm gonna be so raw with you, and 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 I, and I just need you to understand this is this is truth. This yeah. is not about um this is not about separating cultures or 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 saying you know uh, a Black Lives Matter. This is not that because all lives matter to me. Okay. Right. And to, uh, to most of us, this is not that. But when I was growing up, there was no Amber Alert going up. Uh, uh, for um, for uh, for a African American girl, mm -hmm. I can't tell you uh, the the egregious things that happened in my life. Being called mm -hmm. the N word, and I was going to say it, but I don't like saying it, so I'm not going to say it. But yeah. being called the N word as yeah. a child, mm -hmm. and not even understanding what does that even mean, right? And then why are you calling me that? This is just the facts. And so, yes, it does happen to everyone. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you, Joy, because we all have a story. Like I said at the very beginning of this broadcast, we all have a story and every story matters. No matter what your race is, your story matters. There's no pain that's greater than another pain. Tears yeah. are tears. And in my, in my um, book, I write these words. We're all the color of tears. Mm. That's, that's the color of what we are. We're the color of tears because all tears matter. Yeah. All hurt matter yes. to me. And, 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 and she says, you know, she was treated like dirt and asked what she did to bring it on. She was molested by a family member and, and she's, she's white. Yes. <laughs> and oh, she yeah. was called poor white trash. You oh, know, wow. so, you wow. know, these... And I, I'm I'm pretty sure these uh, you've you've heard and and seen a lot of this in your in in your practice now as an adult. Yes. But it 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 I'm, does it feel the same when you look back at twelve year old you and you today? Does it feel the same? In in what aspect, Kevin? Um... The, the story of, of the memories or in what aspect um, is the question? Yeah, when, when, when you hear um, someone saying that they're being called poor white trash or anything like that, they're, they're being d degraded that way. Yes, and it does feel the same. It does because she is a human being. You see what I'm saying? And this is the thing. And this is what I wrote in my book. And I, I tried to make sure I underscored it because my book is about an African-American woman experience, which I am. But mm -hmm. if you read through each chapter and every reader that has read my book, by the way, which one of the readers you saw on the 
trailer of Taken, um, Taken Innocence Project. Yes. The first woman you saw was a white woman. Yes. Named Angel Carter. That woman is my mentee. I'm a mentor. And I bought her in to this project to take an innocence mm-hmm. because I wanted her story to be told. So the very first person you saw in that project was a white woman. Yes. And the reason you saw her is because as my mentee and as I was bought in by Nisi and Tanika, I bought Angel in and I say, Angel, I want you here and I want you to tell your story and I want you to be a part of the this project. And when they came and heard her story, of course, they embraced her um, mm-hmm. as African-American women. They embraced this woman who's from North Carolina, who's who's blonde eyed, blue, uh, 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 blue eyes, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so so I want to be very clear about this. I I think it's so important for us to understand that we are all human, mm-hmm. even if you were. Um, even if you were um, Paris Hilton, a very influential uh, a white um, individual, mm-hmm. let's go even deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper. Um, Ivanka Trump, okay, Trump's daughter, who mm-hmm. has so much entitlement and and has the best of anything. And if yeah. she said, you know what, I was raped and this happened to me, you know what, that matters because we're human beings. This mm-hmm. is not about color. Yeah. But I stand firm because I need to bring equity here. Right. The equity that says African-Americans are more um, prone for every single social determinant from being placed in foster care to broken homes, to being HIV positive, to being incarcerated, to be killed. OK, for mm. nothing more than being black. This is what I'm called to do to bring to, to bring equity here. Because it's not, it's it's not. This this inequitous in America needs to be addressed. Yeah. And that and because I address it doesn't mean that any other race is less valuable. Because all life is valuable. Because I see through the lens of Christ. Christ didn't just die for black people or white people or Jewish people or Hindu people or Muslim people or Arab people or or Asian people. He died for the world. And I, I see through his lens. So when he speaks about justice, when he speaks about the, the inequity in the African-American community in America, the land that was stolen after Abraham Lincoln's assassination, when Abraham Lincoln put into uh, writing that they would be 40 acres and a mule and to a help mule. plow that land. Mm-hmm. That would have changed the trajectory. I wouldn't be having this conversation right now if that happened. Why? Because real estate is the only real um, inheritance that we pass on to our children. It's, it's only, the only real, real estate. Real estate. It's mm-hmm. the only real thing. And Andrew Johnson knew that. So after the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, that what he wrote in order was reneged. And it was that land that was given that would have been a a springboard, a foundation for for the black community for generations to come was given back to slave owners. Right. It was given back. These are the facts. Okay. Had Mm -hmm. that not happened, we wouldn't have the social determinants that we see right now, because without economic footing. Mm. People are left in squalor. 
And I've seen it. I've seen it with every race, but I've seen it disproportionately in the African-American race. And that's why we have a Black History Month. That's why we have uh, a certain government dollars going into in the HIV epidemic in the African-American community. Why? Because it's happening more in those communities. Because poverty and the low socioeconomic status of people is happening more um, just in masses in these communities. Yes. The prisons are filled with African-American men that a, a lot of them are innocent and a lot of them are just mm -hmm. guilty for being a product of circumstance in the, in the age of uh, the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward through my own life and to, to just bring it to, to, to culminate my life, pregnant at 13, um, suicide attempt at 15, 16 years old, second child, and I become a, a crack addict. Because like you said, we need something that's bigger than the pain. Mm -hmm. I needed to self-medicate. And so I didn't have the Seroquel or the Geodons or the Trazodones and all the other legal prescriptions that they that they give people, which, right. by the way, led to my sister's um, demise, my sister Joyce, because she was dealing with her own trauma that I write about in my book. Right. That, and, and they had her on like 16 different medications. For me, I, I was led to drugs and alcohol to the point where I was arrested and became a felon uh, at 18. I was arrested on national TV in a drug scene. And then fast forward mm. a few years later down the road, I will find out that I had full-blown AIDS. We don't use full-blown anymore, okay? That's a stigmatizing um, term, but back in those days we did. Yeah, I, 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 I remember I remember that term being the thing, you know, <laughs> and it as 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 recent as the the late nineties, the early two thousands. That was Absolutely. that that was the thing to say. Hey, you guys Absolutely. over there, and I, I didn't even remember about this. You guys over there on Facebook Live, um, jump on over to that link, pemgtv.com. I'm gonna jump off Facebook Live right now. You all come over to PEMGTV for remaining of this broadcast. It it may go a little bit beyond midnight, just so that you know, because there's a lot of information for us to cover here and and, and, and a lot that, that, that Sandra has to share with us, um, including how to, to, to get in touch with her, how to get her book, um, <laughs> all of these things. We'll find out a little bit later on. But thank you guys over there on Facebook Live for, for sticking around for your comments. Kujo, much love. Kujo said, as Bob Marley said, running and running away, we can't run away from ourselves when we have reality when we face reality and have to take care of the situation head on. You know Amen. Beautifully said. <laughs> you know, these 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 are some of the real things that, that we are going through. And as Sandra tells her real story, it's not made up. She writes about in her book, it's not a fictional book. This is a real person telling a real story about something that really happened. And she is here today just by grace. That's it. That's it. So, so by the grace of God. you guys on Facebook Live, deuces to you. PEMGTV.com. Use that link. Or you can use KevinStew.com. It will redirect you to PEMGTV.com. Thank you, Paul C. Media Group, for setting that up for me. All right. See you guys later on. Um arrested on national TV because you were in, caught up in a, in, a, in, a, in a sting operation? Yes, absolutely. I was arrested in 1986 buying drugs from an undercover officer. 
And I remember the tip of the hat. I remember the guns that converged on all angles of my car. And I remember the Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. I've heard it many times. I was arrested three times before that. But that's the thing. When we go through trauma, there's zero value. We don't care. Yes. I didn't care about being arrested. I didn't care. We don't care. And so we look at this black on black crime. We look at gang violence. We look at things that's happened in the community. The fact of the matter is where there's no respect, where there's no value, there's no trust, there's no care. Even the, um, the American Psychological Association talks about cultural, culturally competent counseling in the African-American community. Why? Because even the American Psychological Association understands that these issues, though they are prevalent through a wider population, we have to funnel certain um, approaches and methodologies to the African-American community. Why? Because we have a different lived experience. Why? Because it's systemic. Our ancestors was bought here. Okay, mm -hmm. we can't get away from this and you can't water it down. We were bought here on slave ships. So to hear about a black trafficking. Oh, okay, I'm following in the footsteps of my of my ancestors that was trafficked here. It's happening more in the African-American community and less is being done. So that's why I advocate so hard. Mm -hmm. Not just for African-Americans, for all people, but because of the inequity, yeah. the inequity. There's so many people that it's like a it's like a race. I, I love this one person on uh, Facebook. They did this film uh, of having people step forward that had their father in the house and then step forward. If you had certain things and step forward yes. and everybody in the back was in the back was black. Yeah. They couldn't step forward because so many things that they didn't that we don't even think of, Kevin, because mm -hmm. it's normalized. Yeah. And because it's normalized to us. Well, let's talk about what's normalized. Not having the father, the, the, the abuse, the trauma, the secrets, um, uh, living below a uh, poverty, living at that low bottom uh, pyramid of Mas Maslow's um, uh, hierarchy, hierarchy of, of needs. needs. Mm -hmm. OK, living there. Okay, that becomes normal. So trauma becomes normal. Uh, being beat becomes normal. Complex trauma becomes normal until we totally break down under a psychotic episode because it's not normal. And we continue to have these gaps. These gaps are existing um, disproportionately in the African-American community. Why? Um, most of the times, we don't trust. Why don't we trust? Pray tell. Tuskegee. We know about the syphilis trials. We know about the um, the sterilization of African-American women. We know this. Okay. So how am I going to trust now? So we talk about PrEP. We talk about uh, preventative measures for HIV. Mm -hmm. So why are the HIV incidents still so proportionally high to the point, Kevin, it's still an epidemic in the African-American community. So now we have syndemics. We have COVID. We have HIV. Okay. We have heart disease. We have diabetes. We have so many disproportionate issues in the African-American community that must be addressed in the African-American community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just had a, a question. 
um, a question come in. If if you had trouble identifying with your emotions, and if so, how did you get over that? Because here 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 is someone that that is one of her concerns. She has difficulty identifying her her with what emotion she is feeling. And here it goes, stemming back to childhood trauma. In the in the in the chat room, um and this is this is quite a bit uh as a as a toddler I have to go a bit a little bit before that. Um I treated like dirt asked what I did to bring it on to to be molested as a child. And those memories were buried until about two years ago when I was traumatized and it came rushing back. Remember we talked about that that that, that proverbial straw that yes. broke the camel's back. Here yes. it is. And 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 Joy is in the chat room sharing with us her own experience. And 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 she said, you know, up until two years ago when something happened and boom, she broke. Yes. And, and not only had the 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 present trauma to deal with, I had to go back and deal with that from the past, which helped to to explain some of the issues I had growing up and 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 leading into adulthood. And this caused so much anger for so many years. And this is also the reason I don't know how to identify with my feelings. Yes, because it's so complex. And whenever you have these complex, maladaptive interpersonal schemas, we call them, you perceive them as normal until you can no longer deal with it. And so we go along with life and we don't know because we can't identify it. You know why we can't identify it? Because we don't have the language. It's mm -hmm. like a child that's being abused and then you grow up. The child didn't have a language to identify, to say, this is happening to me right. and I'm feeling this type of way. Perfect example. And, and, I, and I hope I can just be very authentic and very oh, raw. Please. I think that's what we need to happen here. That, that's so what I do. Times. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. So many times growing up in our cultures, we, we have a seen and not heard culture. Mm -hmm. What goes on in this house stays in this house. The problem with that, like I said, stress is cumulative. Yes. It doesn't go away because you ignore it or repress it. You grow up, you can go get college degrees, you can get married, you can have kids, you can go on vacation, you can have great sex, you can do whatever you want to do. That thing is not going away until you address it. You have to go deep sea diving. You got to excavate. That's what I call it. It's excavation. And that's why my own personal therapeutic approach is called excavation and reconstitution. I have to help you excavate. That's what I had to do. So mm. growing up, I was going to school. I, you know, my children got older. I was managing my life. So I thought, and then bam, something happened and my granddaughter passed away and it bought up everything. It's like shaking a bottle with pulp at the bottom that had settled at the bottom, the yeah. bottom of the bottle mm -hmm. and you shake it. And now all the pulp, everything comes to the top. Everything that was settled there, just minding its own business settled mm -hmm. comes up at the top 
And that's exactly what happened to me. And I started to dislodge. And I remember um, I was with someone that was very special to me. And I was on a computer and I saw pornography on the computer. And immediately, I mean, it was like a flip of a switch. I went back to that bed, not the subsequent rapes, the very first one. Mm. So I teach my clients to go back to the very first wound. And a lot of things happen after the first wound. Why? It's called re-victimization. When you have been uh, um, traumatized or go through any type of loss or grief at a young age, that first wound, that's the first hole in the boat. You've got to go back there. Mm-hmm. And I have to walk with you back there to expose it. But sometimes we can't grab it. You can't reach it. It's like something that falls. Have everything, have you ever experienced where something fell? Like maybe between a seat or down between stairs or something and you're reaching for it and you just can't grab it. You, you, you know, it's there, but you can't reach it. That's psychology. 101. Mm. We teach clients to reach what's called subconscious material. It's material it, that's embedded in the subconscious that you can't reach. But oftentimes what brings it to the surface is the next trauma. It's always the next trauma and it brings it to the surface. And now we're able to deal with it. But oftentimes when we medicate people because they're having emotional dysregulation, they can't, it goes back to sleep. So it's harder to reach again. We have to get them um, present. Oftentimes we're straddling and we're dissociated. We detach. Just It's a, it's a defense mechanism, by the way. It's, it's, it helps us to adapt and survive what the brain couldn't um, otherwise adapt to. It's almost like when you have a car accident and then you yeah. wake up from a coma and you're like, what's happened? Is it Tuesday? Is it March? They're like, no, it's December. You, you've been in a coma all this time. And they're like, what? I don't remember that. They don't remember nothing. Right. That It's like that. It's there. It happened to you, but you don't remember it because the brain has a way, has an amazing way of protecting you from something that, one, you have no language to express or explain. Two, it's too traumatic for you to deal with. And so it pushes it out of the way. It pushes it down. And it only comes back again when you go through a traumatic experience. Something happens, a divorce, a loss, the job loss, stress. Stress will bring it back up. And that's why I help people deal with managing the stress while excavating the past, that part of your life that you have repressed, that you don't want to remember. And that's what happened in my life. I didn't want to remember it, Kevin. Mm. I didn't want to. And God took me back. He said, you're going to remember it because you got to write about it and you got to tell the story about it and you got to do this. And I remember not wanting to do it. And this amazing man was in my life uh, from Mandeville, Jamaica, and um, my dear friend today. And I remember him saying to me, you got to write this book. You got to write it. Even my doctor told me. Because by this time, I had moved from an AIDS diagnosis to an HIV diagnosis because I came from a CD4 of two to over a thousand. 
and um, and with the amazing antiretroviral medications, and with the help of my uh, infectious disease doctor, Alberto Mestri, who I have so much um, love and respect for to this day because he helped save my life. Mm-hmm. He said, you got to write a book. He said, you got to write your story because I told him uh, a little bit more about my story. And then uh, and then again, this 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 man that I that I met was telling me, you got to tell it because that's how you heal. That's how you complete the process of healing. And neuroplasticity tells us that we can rewire our brain and all things will become new for us. But we got to go through that stressful process that 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 often makes us feel again what we don't want to feel. You know, it's like going to, through combat fatigue. PTSD is very real, whether you're on the battlefield or you've just dealt with trauma like Joy have dealt with and like I've dealt with and so many others have dealt with, yeah. Angel Carter have dealt with. You know, neuroplasticity integrates with um, uh, theology and the Bible where the Lord says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says. That what that is is neuroplasticity. It's when the brain actually starts to um, kill off those old um, neurological pathways. Okay, that makes us um, go back to that trauma. That makes us relive that trauma, even though we don't want to. Do you know how many women we save from sex trafficking that go back to sex trafficking? Do you know how many women we get out of domestic violence that go back to domestic violence? Because Stockholm we syndrome. Have a, Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a we have a neurological pathways that leads back to that route. Literally think about a road, a two way road. And if that road road is shut off because of fear, because Mm -hmm. we never took we never transversed that road. We're going to go back down the road. We know, even though it's painful, it's familiar. Yeah. So my job is to teach people the neurological connections and how we re-victimize ourselves. So where I was first a victim, I'm no longer a victim anymore. Now it's self-pity I got to deal with. It's be it's, it's feeling like a victim I have to deal with. It's feeling like I want vengeance I have to deal with, which, by the way, fed my addiction. Because mm. even after I was free from crack addiction, it still called to me. And I'm like, how can this drug still call to me? I'm born again. I'm in the church. I haven't touched a crack pipe in over a year. Why is this thing still calling to me? Why do I feel like I still want to get high? Why am I still jonesing? God showed me through the Holy Spirit, Kevin. He said, you have property that don't belong to you. He said, you have to let go of the property that don't belong to you. And as I sat and I became teachable to find out what is this the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to me, The Holy Spirit said this. I have told you to forgive. And until you forgive everyone that's ever hurt you, from your stepfather to Miss Lynn to the traffickers, everyone, because I died for them too. That cross was for everybody, not just for you and your self-pity. You must forgive. And then in forgiving, you got to let go of self-pity. That's the devil's property. Unforgiveness is the devil's property. Um, yeah. Wanting vengeance, that's the devil's property. And where his property is, he can trans- He can um, trespass to get it, even though I belong to well, God. Well, it's not trespassing if it's his property. 
Exactly. Exactly. And when the Lord told me that, I said, that's what it's been. When I received that word, because I was already born again. This is how we can be born again and still fall. Still not sanctified. Still going back to the vomit of our past. When the Holy Spirit revealed that to me, Kevin, I took, I said, never again. I said, I forgive everybody that's ever hurt me. I forgive you. I spoke it out loud because you got to speak it. Your mm. thalamus have to hear you say it. That's why we're not, we're not moved by what we hear. Yes, faith comes by hearing, but transformation comes by saying. It's what you say. You speak it to It's by being. the word. What did the Bible says? We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Mm -hmm. So we have to speak our words because what you tell me right now, Kevin, it's not, it doesn't move me. It's what I tell me right. because I can hear me speak and my brain, my thalamus hears my words that I'm speaking to you right now. That's why confession is made unto salvation. That's why the Bible says you got to confess it because mm -hmm. you hear it. You hear yourself saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I repent. Help me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I said that to myself. And then I said, Lord, I've walked with you, but I've also walked with the enemy's property. And I give it back. I forgive everyone that's ever hurt me. I said it out loud. I let go of self-pity and my need to wallow and say, poor me. Look at what happened to me. Look at me. I had to let that go. God says, let it go. He said, cast it all. Cast all your cares on me. Let it go. And then he said, finally, tell yourself who you are in me. And I had to say it out of my mouth. I am a child of the king. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am the righteous of God. I've been crucified with Christ. Yet I live, not I, but Christ that lives within me. As I started saying that, Mm -hmm. All the old myelin sheath, the myelin sheath is a part of the brain that has a coating on it that holds all old memories, that holds habits. It holds our predispositions and our idiosyncrasies. It holds it all. What starts happening, it, it starts to die. See, whatever you starve dies. Whatever you feed gets fat and lives. Right. I started to starve that part, all of that. So it's not just happening spiritually by my forgiveness, by me giving the devil back his property. That's spiritual. That's the spiritual component. It also happens biologically and neurologically in the body because God made me. Okay. So who better to tell me how to fix me than the one who made me and manufactured me? It's like me taking an Apple computer to Microsoft. They're going to mm. look at me like I'm a fool and say, I'm sorry. That's not Microsoft. That's Apple. We manufacture and create Microsoft. Mm -hmm. You got to take that Apple computer to the Apple manufacturer because they made it and they're the only one that knows how to fix, fix it if it's malfunctioning. Right. But how many times do we go to all kind of things to fix what's malfunctioning in us instead of the one who made us? And no, we was not the product of a big bang or an accident. That's the worst thing you can tell a human being. Because if you tell me that, mm. I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to live la vida loca, and I'm going to ride it till the wheels fall off until I die because I believe nothing comes after the last breath. Right. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, 
crazy to think that you had gone through so much, but yet still here you stand. And and as you speak, it 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 puts all the puzzle pieces together. To because you had to get to that point where. As you said, you spoke it into being. You spoke it so that your brain could hear you say it. That's right. That, that way you could know. So you, you, you went through um, pregnancy. You did the, su- the attempted suicide. Yes. So I you did. were pregnant at 13 the first time. I was pregnant the first time at, at, at 13. And I was still in DCF custody, Department of Children and Families. Yes. which I call the Department of Cracked Foundations. Um, and then mm. I, I was still in DCF custody. They, they took me to a girl's home in Miami. So I had my first daughter at Mercy Hospital. She's now 39 years old, beautiful woman. And then at 15, though, when she was two, um, at 15, when she was two, mm-hmm. I was breaking up um, with her father, yes. who was very abusive. And mm-hmm. in breaking up with him, he... Uh, punched my daughter out of my arms. He punched me to take my daughter out of my arms. And he told me to break up with him is to lose my daughter. And again, we go to that parental alienation. Yes. And um, when that Mm -hmm. happened to me, mm -hmm, I did not want to uh, display that in front of my daughter. I didn't want to see this drama. And he had punched me to the ground. And I remember thinking, I'm still going through this because her father is, from the time we met, he had been um, not not abusive. He had those tendencies, but of course, abusers. Narcissists never get you on the hook that way. Mm-hmm. They always show you a different face. And then yeah. once they, and, and then after the uh, representative is gone and the real person comes out. And so by this time, uh, when he did that, I was done. I was done. And I write about this in my book. It's called Suicide Watch. Because by this time, I, I wanted to break up with him. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to just raise my daughter, and I wanted to be alone. And mm. uh, But there was no breaking up with him, according to him. And so that happened. And when that happened, I was, uh, I was back at my mom's house because I had left um, DCF custody. I was emancipated, and I was back with my mother. And I was actually taken care, by the way, of my stepfather who was dying of cancer. So the same one that molested me and raped me and um, beat me was the same one that when he was uh, dying of stage four cancer, I was taking care of him. I was emptying his urinals. I was making sure he had water or ice or food or whatever he needed. Um, I had so forgiven and uh, learned this love of God that was always with me, always with me, um, that I was doing that. But let me tell you, when my when my a child's father beat my child out of my arms in my mother's house. I found every pill. And while I was taking the pills, uh, I took over 200 pills because, and I was talking to God and I blamed God. I was very angry and I raged and I said, I believe in you and I always believe in you, but you have allowed all of this to happen in my life. You allowed this to happen as my as a child. You allowed me to be raped and trafficked. You allowed all of this violence in my life that I never asked for. I've always been an introverted, nerdy girl who just loved music mm-hmm. and loved books and comic books and my super friends. And 
I'm like, God, you've just allowed this. And I said, now you've allowed this person to take my daughter out of my arms and leave and walk out with my daughter. I was done. And so I took every pill and I laid down to die. I don't remember being picked up off the floor. I don't remember being put in the ambulance. The only thing I remember was laying down and crying and asking God to take care of my daughter and my family and being woken up with something going under my nose that smelled horrible. And by the time I was awake, tubes were already in my stomach. So I don't even remember them putting tubes in my stomach. I don't even remember that or why. So they must have saw the empty bottles and the, the little Dexatrim tablets. Cause I was, I remember trying to take Dexatrim to lose weight. That was the big um, weight loss fad back in those days. So I was always, you know, mm-hmm. trying to lose weight, but I took every, every pill in the whole house that I could find. Cause I, and, and the way I wrote that chapter was I wanted to make sure I had enough pills in my stomach for a one-way trip off of this thieving planet because it had stolen so much from me. And that's what I wrote for that chapter. And I just remember being so angry as they were talking to me in the ambulance. What's your name? What day it is? They was asking me all these orientation questions. And I remember being so angry. I was so angry, Kevin, waking up. Mm. But fast forward to all of that. You know, I wind up marrying this individual over time, just feeling no value, being depressed and saying, you know what, if if I'm, I'm not going to fight for my daughter, if if being with this person is a part of being with my daughter, then I want my daughter at all costs. And I stayed in that marriage until my kids were old enough and um, she was already grown out of the house and married and my other children were growing up. And I remember saying, this is my time. This is when I'm going to get out. And I, I still couldn't make that move because I felt so guilty. I always felt like divorce was wrong because I remember my parents divorced and I didn't want a divorce after, yeah. you know, we had finally got married. But I remember my goddaughter who I helped raise, Angela, and I remember her joining the military, something I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to join the military and become a cop. That was my life. I felt like I was a super friend a comic book hero if I could just do that. But I remember my daughter in 2004 sending me to Colorado. And this is where my book ends, where she sends me to Colorado. She says, I want you to come up because I'm having my second daughter, Alicia, my granddaughter, my beautiful granddaughter, who's now, by the way, preparing for college. And I remember she said, I want you to come here and I, I want you to be with me for a little while. And I came up with her and I remember hearing about mountains because my sister used to sing this song from the sound of music, climb every mountain mm-hmm. until you find your dream. Yeah. My sister sing that to us when we were children from the sound of music. And I, I sang it in a child choir in a children choir. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that was, that was it for me when I was out there and I'm a Florida girl and here I am, Kevin in Colorado Springs, Colorado mm-hmm. with my, with my, my um, my goddaughter, Angela, holding my beautiful uh, two granddaughters in my arms. And I remember being on the couch when she my daughter put them to sleep and I'm on the couch and I would hear voices. But not like that. Mm. I would go out to the to the balcony and her her base, um, Peterson's Air Force Base, because she was in the Air Force, overlooked the mountains. So there was mountains all over the place. Yeah. And That's I remember Jamaica for you. <laughs> yeah. 
I remember, yeah, the Blue Mountains in Jamaica. Yeah. I remember hearing a voice and it said, I'm waiting for you. And I tell you, I can't underscore this enough. And I hope who's ever listening to me really hear me, especially for those who say they're hearing voices. I heard a voice that said, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting. I went in the house. This was my third day there in Colorado. I called my doctor, Dr. Mestri. And I left a voice message on his 24-hour answer machine. I hung up my phone and I start packing a bag with nuts and water. That's all I packed. And I said, I'll wait for sunup so I tell my so I can tell my daughter what's happening. Now I'm in Colorado, mind you, a place I've never been. And I've been there three days. My daughter wakes up, it's about six something in the morning, and I tell my daughter, I say, baby. I got to go, but I'll be back. And I remember the look on her face. And she looked so scared. And she's like, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to go up to that mountain. And she lost it, my daughter. (laughs) She said, what? And I said, baby, I I will be okay. I said, I can't explain it. I got to go. She said, she just, everything she had, she, she had something in her hand. She literally dropped the clothes or something she had in her hand. She had like mm-hmm. clothes in her hand, folding clothes. And I got ready to walk out the door and she said, wait, 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 wait. She said, please just wait. She said, it's cold on the mountain. At least change. Cause I had motorcycle, my motorcycle pants on. I, 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 I was a Harley rider, by the way. Oh. I, um, I okay. got my motorcycle license. Yeah. Uh, back in those days. And as my kids start growing up, I started like getting more hobbies and doing things because they were growing and not needing me as much anymore, getting grown and leaving the house. Right. And so she said, at least change. So she made me change into long johns, which I've never worn in my life. I'm from Florida. Right. And um, a pair of her jeans, her military um, army jacket and gloves. She just, she just covered me up. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, sweetie, I got to go. As I'm walking out the door, she said, wait, 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 don't go yet. She woke her husband up. Her husband is an African-American man that smokes and that was an, and that, that, that was uh, drinking a little bit too much in those days. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why he was discharged from the military. So he was drinking a little bit too much, but I love him very dearly. And he, she said, wake up, you're going to go with her. This man didn't even think he was getting out of the bed that day, let alone about to hike a mountain. But she forced him out of bed. And made him go with me. Long story short, <laughs> 3,000 feet up Pikes Peak Mountain. Mm. Uh, he wanted to turn around. He was getting sick because he, again, he was a smoker and he was winded and on the ground, up on the, the, the ground. And I said, Rod, his name is Rod. I love him dearly. I said, babe, turn around. I said, you can turn around. It's okay. He said, you don't understand. You don't know your daughter. I can't go back without you. She will not let me go back without you. And if something happens to you, I'm a dead man. <laughs> so this guy pulled it together. This is stories. It's just, you know, people who have read my book, they're like, Sandra, your book needs to be a movie because this is a true story. And by the time we got up to 8,000 feet on the mountain, there was a storm at the top. So the ranger said, no, there was to be no climbing. We had to go back. And I said, I'm not going back. I said, I will, I will get to the top or I will die right here. And I meant it with everything in my, in my life because I needed to fight. I needed to fight uh, against apathy, 
against that state of do nothingness, that state of this is my life, this is my circumstances, so I got to deal with it. I have no voice. I'm seen. I'm not heard. I'm just here. And I needed to fight against that all my life. I had been in this marriage close to 19 years of domestic violence, mm. being beat. This man had two children outside of our marriage, two different women, being beat, being degraded, being mistreated, and all while being in the church, believe it or not. And so I told them, I said, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay right here. And by chance, um, a Christian organization had built a camp at 8,000 feet. Eight is the number of new beginnings, by the way. And mm. this camp had a big um, a old-time stove and a few cots. And I remember the caretaker saying, you're going to be okay. You can sleep here. You don't have to turn around. I said, I'm not turning back. I'm not turning around. I'm not going back. He said, by the, he said, it happens all the time up here. The storm will be over by morning. You can finish your hike in the morning. And that night, I'm so glad I stayed and I didn't go back because that night, again, that voice led me outside. And by the way, there's no light on the mountain. There's no light pollution. There's no light except from the stars. And I went out to the, the outhouse that they had there. And on the way back in with Rod holding my arm, because you can't see anything. So we had a big flashlight that they would use. Mm -hmm. And that voice said, look up, Sandra. And I looked up, Kevin. And I saw billions of stars I've never saw before. It was like clusters. It was like galaxies that you could see that you've never saw that was there the whole time. But at 8,000 feet, it, it showed everything. And I was so happy because I'm like, God, I can die right now with no regret. I'm okay. I will be okay because I know that there's something bigger than all the trauma I've ever been through. God is bigger. He's so much bigger. There's so much more to life I didn't understand. And long story short, the next morning we finished the hike, 14,000. 115 feet I made it to the top of that mountain mm. and when I made it to the top the voice that I heard was my own voice it was a voice of that little girl that never got to grow up that little girl that was arrested in development oftentimes the voices we're hearing is our own voice that's trying to help us to make a move to get us to wake up and to be present for our own life instead of indifferent and apathetic that same year, I applied for divorce, and I got a divorce, and I still got threats, and I still got, you better watch your back, and all this stuff, and all those threats. And I say, you know what? Do whatever you think God is going to let you do, because the same God who began this work in me, this good work, he will be the one to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. That was in 2004. Amen. I thank God that he's went on and he's doing well. He remarried and he's doing well and I wish him well and I pray for him. I have no regrets and I have no bitterness or animosity because we can't be set free unless we forgive. I lived in my car after that, after I got out because I had to get out and I had to leave the state because of the threats I got. And I left and I lived in my car and I was free and I was happy and I started to work and I started to go back to school and God has never stopped moving me from where I was to where I am right now in my life. Mm. And I'm so grateful.
I'm so grateful. You, you, this, this, this is such a powerful journey. And there, there are so many times when it could have ended prematurely, so to speak. Yes. But it didn't. And when you realized that it didn't, you pressed on. Absolutely. Was, what was a driving force that kept you going on? It was the foundation. I had a foundation of lullabies, a foundation of Bible stories that made me believe that all things were possible with this great God named Jehovah. That foundation came from my family. It came from my sister. But there was still something that, that, that got you to the point where you wanted it to end. So how do you, how do you balance that conflict? My children. I saw my children as they started to grow up displaying the same behaviors. I saw my daughter, by the way, who started to display my same indifference and my same um, apathy. And as she became a teenager, I saw her putting herself at risk and in risky relationships. Mm. Um, one day, and I wrote this in my book, by the way, right before I went to the mountain, my daughter um, catches the bus to, to North Lauderdale School in, in um, Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. And I, I was on the way to work. And I remember almost making it to the parking lot and God said, turn this car around and get to your daughter's school now. And I remember feeling like something had punched me in my stomach, Kevin, a mother knows. Yes. And I drove full speed to North Lauderdale and I went into the school to the guidance and I said, I need to see my daughter, Charlita. And they looked on their roster and they say, she's not here. I say, that's impossible. I say, she, she takes the bus. She's bust here. We don't live in this area. That's when, that's when they would bus children outside yeah. their districts. Right. And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, your daughter's not here. I said, I need to see the campus police now. I lost it. I lost it. I, I couldn't even stand up straight. Something was telling me my daughter was in trouble. And when the police, uh, the campus police walked up to me, two campus police officers, and I said, my daughter is missing. I need help. And they say, ma'am, there's nothing we can do. Your daughter, first of all, has not been missing over 24 hours or so, so much a time. And they said, furthermore, she's over the age of 16. So if she wants to skip school or she wants to leave or whatever she wants to do, she can do. And I say, you're not listening to me. I said, I don't care about your laws. 16, 17, 18, they're children. They're still children. 18-year-old in my book is still a child. The brain is not even finished developing to well over 25 years old. I didn't know that then, but that's just the facts. Mm -hmm. So I told these cops, I said, listen. My door is missing and I need a report. They disputed me. They would not listen to me. And so I just started losing it right there in the hall. And I had um, some children passing by and they, they said, it's your daughter, Charlita. And I said, yes. And tears are streaming down my eyes by this time. They said, we saw your daughter get off the bus and this guy approached her and she went that way with him. 
Kevin, you asked me what what is what 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 it was. It is my children. That day when he told me that, I got in my car and I would always see flicks of light in my eyes. I, I called them fireflies when I was little. But mm-hmm. that's what happens when the stress rises and your blood pressure goes up. Yeah. And you'll get these little flicks of light. Yeah. And I knew at that time what it was. I've seen them. But eyes, these flicks of light almost blinded me because I was over the stress, um, the threshold of my capacity to handle stress. Yeah. So that's when we go to breakdown mode. And I was about to break down and I, I commanded myself not to break down. I said, you will not break down. I have to find my daughter. So I started, instead of breaking down, I started praying. And I said, God, take me to my daughter. I said, you've been with me all my life. I said, but I need you to take me to my daughter for my daughter's sake. No one came. When I was trafficked, no one came to my rescue. And I stayed in that situation for a long time to the point where I was so psychologically traumatized. And I dealt with a lot of the repercussions later on in my life. I said, but that is not my daughter. That will not be my daughter. I can't tell you how the supernatural works, but Mm -hmm. God is real. God said, drive, don't stop, drive. I don't know what neighborhood I'm in. My daughter is bused to that school. I live on the other side of the tracks. I don't know this neighborhood. But God Mm -hmm. led my car three blocks and he said, turn right here and make another sharp right. I just followed his navigation. And when I did, I saw a row of apartments with, um, with doors to each. And the Holy Spirit says, she's right in that door. Ask me what the Holy Spirit sounds like. I can't tell you. I, it's an inner impression. It's an inner voice. It's an inner knowing when you walk with the Lord and when you walk closely with the Lord. I went and I knocked on the door. No one answered. I called the, pol- the campus police. I said, I need you here now. My daughter is in this building. They came and they said, okay, ma'am, how do you know your daughter's in this building? I said, because I know. I just know. They said, we can't go into a house on, you know, we need evidence to go into a house. I said, my daughter, I said, you're wasting time. I said, you're wasting time. Go and get my daughter. They wouldn't do it. I called the police while they were still talking. I called the North Lauderdale police on the police. And when I called the North Lauderdale police, I was screaming. I was crying. I said, my daughter's in this building. They will not get my daughter out. I know she's in this building. The police is here. They're not helping me. Please come. The police was there within three minutes. Five cop cars came. They said, ma'am, stay back. We will go in. We will investigate. They walked in. They went to the front door and the back of the building. As I stayed behind the police cars, I saw that door open and my daughter walked out of that door with her book bag and the perpetrator that guy walked Mm -hmm. out in handcuffs the police um uh lieutenant came to me uh, i'm sorry he was the sergeant or the lieutenant he said he said miss we've been looking for this guy this guy is not supposed to be within 1500 feet of any school he is on probation and we have been looking for him 
He said, it's a good thing you followed your hunch. I said, it's not a hunch. It was the Holy Spirit. And I said, furthermore, my daughter wore a bra to school. She does not have her bra on. I said, I want my daughter checked right now at the Women's Crisis Center. He said, I will give you a police escort there. The police escorted us as, as um, I drove with my daughter to the Women's Crisis Center, which is a rape center. I held my hand as my naked daughter laid in, in, on that table to get examined. And I remember the look on the lady's face that was examining her. And she said, you got her out in time. She was not touched. You got her out on time. And when the, when the police got the report, they said he's still going down because of he had her in uh, the apartment and he's not supposed to be in 1,500 feet of a school. Fast forward three weeks, we had to show up for the trial. Mm -hmm. And I sat there in a trial, Kevin, while his pregnant, his eight-month pregnant girlfriend walked over to me, Hispanic, and I just, and I know a little Spanish. I learned Spanish when I was um, in, uh, Mercy, uh, in Miami, when I was first taken to Miami at 13 years old. Yes. And she spoke to me and she asked me to drop the charges. And I told her, it's not my charges to drop. The state picked up the charges. And because he's already on probation. And I said, lo siento mucho. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. And she cried her eyes out. And I felt so bad. And I'm like, he was already in pro on probation. So why, when he was already arrested for this, where is the correction? Mm -hmm. What's up with the Department of Corrections? The jail corrects nothing. You let people out to do the same thing that they're doing. So why have it continued so long that we incarcerate people for certain things, but yet... It's just another money game. It's just another billion-dollar money-making scheme of crime and punishment because I sat there holding my daughter's hand and listening to the gavel come down on this young man 16 more years on top of the years he had prior to being put on probation. Mandatory 16 years. That means he will be, he would have been in his 50s probably by the time he got out. Mm-hmm. So, and my question was the same to the prosecutors and to everybody that I had to talk to during that time, is what is up with correction? Why are you locking people up and you're not really dealing with the underlying issues? Oftentimes, it is hurt people that hurt people. All the time. Exactly. Exactly. That's what so, you know, so that's what you're going to do. Exactly. Whole people don't do that. Healthy people don't do that. So you lock them up and you have the perfect opportunity while they're right there. You have the perfect opportunity to implement counseling, mentorship, psychotherapy, um, uh, bringing people in to really mentor these young men, mentor these people who've been there, done that and made it out on the other side. But you don't do that because that's not the point. That's not what it's all about. There, Prisons are there's not much of an emphasis. Yeah. And and there's not much of an emphasis to fix them because they and and they use the 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 caveat that it has to be the individual's choice. Oh, right. But it wasn't their choice to get arrested. Right. So You see? 
in 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 the in the name of protecting society, they get incarcerated. But while incarcerated is not in the name of protecting society that they, they, they there's a, the effort to fix the problem yes. to address the problem and it's not to say that you're going to fix people it is just going to address the problem that they're facing that they have buried the thing that is causing them to act out to lash out exactly and exactly. That, that 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 little bit of time that extra step that's that that's eliminated altogether because then they can't put them back into a system where they get to either a cause the cycle to continue generationally exactly or them themselves go back in cyclically absolutely kevin and here's transgenerational trauma because that young man child will be without a father and he probably was without a father yeah and so we bring this back to the fathers and that's where my book ends my book ends with we must get the father's heart back to their children. We must do this. But there's so many infightings in relationships. And we should not even have a first date before we are a healthy single person, let alone being married and being um, partnering with someone um, out of infatuation or lust or even what we think is love. Because if you yes. ask any divorced person, Kevin, Ask them, was they ever once in love? They will tell you, of course they were. We don't have a wedding and flowers and flower girls and best men and all this to get a divorce. But every divorced person started out in love. Mm -hmm. We must deal with the underlying problems that happen in oftentimes in childhood. And this is transgenerational and intergenerational trauma that, that perpetuates itself as we act out what has been done to us or we implode within our own self you know as, like I, I did. as 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 you talk about the family and the going back to the fathers and giving back the the father's heart to to the children i remember i did a whole series on parental alienation and i met a family attorney in doing that series and this had to have been about two years ago. Mm -hmm. we, re we recently reconnected. This coming Monday, she, we, we, we decided that we're going to start doing a monthly thing where she'll be on. And she advocates for the fathers. And this is, it, 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 it doesn't, it's, it's just a band-aid on a gaping wound at the end of the day when you think about it. Exactly. But because there's so much more that we need to do. We need to do as a community. And I, 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 I speak a lot about the community coming together. I was raised by a village. I was raised with, with people that lived in the development that I lived in, knowing my mother's phone number. Which means, walking down the street, there was only so much trouble that I could get into without my mother knowing. And today, if, if, if we even said hello to our, to our neighbors, 
that was a lot. That's a lot. Exactly. In, in a lot of these communities that we live in. Exactly. So it, it it's perfect. It's a perfect petri dish to grow the the virus of 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 heat. Yes. And wow. I I. That's that's the only word I can think of that that people can associate with what I'm uh, I'm referring to. But I I refer to hate as something else. It's it's having acceptance through enlightenment is what I want hate to be. Yes. But this thing that 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 tears families apart, that that rips communities to shred, that individualizes a family. And a family is not, 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 not only the, the relatives that you know, that mother, that father, that sister, that brother, that aunt, that uncle, that grandparent. Your family can extend to people that you, don't, you have never physically met. Absolutely. And without yes. understanding that, without having that grasp, without having that mindset, we're just disjointed. And the art of war, you know, divide and conquer. Exactly. And, and while we're fighting and conquering, we're losing our children. We're losing the next generation. Right. For what? And, 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 and within you was enough of Joyce to keep going. Your sister Joyce. Within you was... Enough of those stories and those songs that you heard as, as a three-year-old, a four-year-old. Yes. And that kept you for <laughs> half a century? It really did. It really did. She, she would sing the same lullaby. Love makes the world go round. It was a, a song she made up. And um, climb every mountain and somewhere with a rainbow from the Wizard of Oz. She would just sing. And I, I literally, the, the fourth book that I'm writing is um, a Saved by a Lullaby. And bringing back that to our children. I was blessed despite all the trauma. I was blessed to be loved, so loved, by a, by a woman who would sing to us. She would put us between her legs, Kevin, and braid our hair. You know how we yeah. girls get their little hair braided yeah. and then they put the little bows on the end of, of, of the hair and you have all these colorful little bows, you know, on the end of the hair. That was my sister. She kept our hair greased with this bergamot, you know, hair grease. You know, they called mm -hmm. it blue magic back in the day. And um, <laughs> she just doted on us as her brothers and sisters, she doted on all of us. She loved us with such a love and it kept us, all my brothers and sisters, Joyce, um, she raised me, my brother, Leon, Michael, and Linda, us four. And she just loved us. She loved us as if she knew what the future held, as, she, as if she knew the storms that was gonna come. She planted seeds of faith so deep in the rich soil of our childhood, that it took root, and she made sure it took root. She made sure she watered it, and it took root, that those roots would hold fast, that no matter what came, 
And she would always tell us, no matter what, you trust in God. She always told us that. And three years ago, she transitioned to heaven. And it devastated us. It devastated us. But her love and her resilience lives in me. You know, and her lullabies lived in me because I sung Mm -hmm. lullabies to my children and to my grandkids. So it still lives, you know, it still lives in me. And I honor her in um, every opportunity that I can. And I'm just so grateful. I'm I'm grateful for for having the opportunity to to be here with you, Kevin, and to just share her legacy, her life, her love and how it created such a foundation. And everything is foundational. Mm -hmm. Everything goes back to the father and everything goes back to the foundation. Remember, even uh, scripture tells us that the sins of the father goes to the third and fourth generation. Why didn't he say the mother? Why wasn't it about the mother? Because everything, really, the seed of the father, the father means so much. But how much have society ripped the father away from children, especially uh, during the um, the war on drugs and mass incarceration of, of young men, including yes. my brother Leon when he was younger. We have to turn things around. That's why in my book, I call for reparation. I call for redress. I call for the land that was stolen from our ancestors to be returned because that is what's due and that's what God justice looks like. And I call for the return of fathers because regardless of of uh, what uh, your father looked like or my father looked like, they are our father. Yeah. And they are worthy of honor and they are worthy of love despite the circumstances that they had to go through. My father couldn't give what he couldn't what he didn't possess. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I love him so much he didn't have to. Because love covers a multitude of sin, the Bible says. A multitude. And he's transitioned uh, many years ago, and I had the honor of being by his side, kissing his face when he took his last breath. I had the honor of that. I had the honor of, of changing his diaper mm. when he got older and taking care of him. I had that honor of washing him and shaving him when he couldn't move and change himself because of his stroke, because of his hypertension and his alcoholism. I had the honor of doing that. We have to bring honor back into our families Back to yeah. our parents and back into the home. So despite that you couldn't make it with your wife or your spouse or your boo or whoever, if you have children, mm-hmm. do not, do not tear them apart by talking about their their parents, by taking them away, by parental alienation. Because by doing that, you are breaking the heart of your child. They will not articulate that to you. But, I'm doing it for them. But see, that's that's the other part of the problem. Because that parent that, that, that cannot identify within themselves that there's something that needs to be addressed, that parent goes and, and, and projects onto that child. That parent goes and, 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 and uses that child as a pawn yes. in, 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 in their own... Vengeance and retaliation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you move on. You got this girl over there and you move on without me. You're not going to see our child. What? What? What does one have to do with the other? Exactly. 
And that so, has nothing to do with that child. If he's a good father, if he's not abusing that child, he's loving that child. He wants to be a father. How dare you? You're tearing that child heart out without them. They will never be able to tell you that, but you're doing it. You're because you're telling them that part of you. I hate that part of you. So you're telling them you hate them because they're not just you. They're their father. They're the mother and the father and they're their own person as well. Joy says, I gave up on my biological dad and decided to be happy to be a daughter of the king. I am blessed by the best. And she goes on to say, you are telling that child when you're doing this that it is wrong to love their parent. Ripping them apart, you know, alienating them. Yes. Yes. We are, we are firsthand, as, as parents, we are single-handedly contributing to the problem the same problem that we see on the news and we go these people are crazy what are they doing exactly 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 and i say we because this has to be addressed from the inside out nobody can stand on the outside and say you people over there no 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 no, no. you have to put yourself in it that's right that's right Absolutely. I've had to go through that struggle in, in, in part my, myself. I, there's, that's a part of my story. That's a part of my journey. I've heard children, I've worked with children, and I've, 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 I've heard children talk about one parent speaking negatively about the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's terrible because you're you're assaulting their very identity, their very identity. But we don't okay? identify with that. We don't take the time out to really look at the big picture. No, we just stop and we say, "Woe is me at this moment," and I am going to use whatever tool I have yeah. to let them feel this pain. Yes, absolutely. So, so, so here it is: your stepfather doing it with 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 your mother causing this with you here it came later on you had a husband that did the same thing to you same same when i tell you it was the same thing you see the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation and the only thing that can stop that is when we do life god's way when we, when we go to the foot of the cross and we say, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in, with, in me. So I'm not going to throw stones at him. I, you know, God says vengeance is his, not, not ours. God mm -hmm. says vengeance is mine. I will yeah. repay. So why are we trying to be God? We make ourselves a demagogue when we do that. We put ourselves above God when we do that. When Christ said, forgive, we are to forgive how dare we um, believe that we're some type of deity that we can do this? And it happened in my life when I, when I finally divorced. He told me out of his mouth he was going to make sure my kids hate me because he know how much I love them. Right. And he spewed so much hate and visceral. He spewed it all. And I said, you know, to God be the glory. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to concern myself about that. But when my children come to me, I will not repay evil for evil. I will say, honor your father, honor yes. and respect your father, no matter what. You honor him and you respect your father. But you know and what? That's all I could say. 
You know what, Sandra? Even for those that don't subscribe to a God of any kind, to understand that 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 bit of forgiveness, that bit of love that, that, that is going yes. to come out of them. Though for those that say, I am God in 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 in, in real life. Yes. If they don't do that very same thing, they're going to destroy themselves. Exactly right. There'll be no growth. There'll be no, no, no power that they wield over anyone. No. No. So it, 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 whether or not you subscribe to a, 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 a religious faith, we, we are all spiritual beings. So yes. whatever it is that you subscribe to, Yes. If you do not decide that, hey, you know what? I, I need to let this thing go. Yes. You know, I, I, I need to, 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 to allow this person to live that experience of love with those with whom they're connected. Yes. Let me not step in there. Let me not try to... to, to do anything to sabotage that. Let whatever happened between us be between us. Let them live. Let them grow. Yes. Joy knowing says, that they're loved. Yeah. Knowing that it's not their fault and knowing that they're loved. Exactly. Joy said, my husband has two sons. He, has n- he never gets to see because he's with me. And we've been together almost 15 years. This coming September will make 15 years oh, that they've been gosh. together. Wow. Just because this man is with her, he cannot see his two sons. That's crazy. And those sons will grow up embittered, broken, because you can't rewind childhood. You get one childhood. Those children will grow up missing and, and feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because my father did not stay. That's, I'm telling you, you, we have to realize something that... Yes. Like you said, it doesn't matter what belief we subscribe to because even atheists know how to be more cordial than some people in the church. Yes. Let me just go there and say that. Yes. Because it's true. Yes. I know Buddhists, okay? Let's go here. I know Buddhists that are more cordial, more humane, and more compassionate than people in the church. Mm-hmm. Okay? We have to know something that... You cause your own suffering when you hold on to bitterness and vindictiveness. You cause your own suffering. So whether you believe in there's an afterlife or not, you cause your own suffering. And let me tell you what science says physiologically. People who hold on to bitterness and anger and maliciousness, they develop what's called autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. These are diseases that have some type of mysterious origin. Yes. That's not saying all people are like that because there are some um, schools and some um, psychologists that say, and this is research, even Dr. Bezel and his book, The Body Keeps the Score. Again, excellent book. I'll put that book into your reading repertoire. Mm-hmm. He says that, People who have unresolved grief and trauma, and we know what comes with unresolved grief and trauma, anger, rage, resentment, a whole gamut of negative emotions. Yes. These people will develop autoimmune diseases. What does that look like? Certain cancers, lupus, Mm -hmm. Crohn's disease, these diseases that 
can't, you know, can't really be assigned to your diet or nutrition. Something is happening underneath that we can't quite pinpoint why you developed this disease. Well, science is coming up with it because we're advancing in science and technology. And we are finding out more and more it's those people with unresolved issues, unresolved trauma that festers in the body, hate and malice festering within the cells. And the body starts to fight against each other. That's what autoimmune is, by the way. It's your body attacking itself. itself. Yes. Because the Bible made it very clear, whatever you believe it or not, we have one manufacturer. And it says, don't hold it. He even says, take every negative thought captive and only think on these things. Whatever things are true, whatever things are good, whatever things are a good report, think on those good things. Even heathens that believe in mysticism, or people who believe in the law of attractions, not calling them heathens, but just people who believe in their law of attraction. They believe that their thoughts manifest things. Do you know this is Bible? The Lord says, speak on, speak those things that are not as though they were, and they will come. Mm. So worry, whatever you're worried about, will come. Whatever you're thinking about will happen. Because we are made in the image of a creative God. So we too are creators. And we can create a blissful existence by what we think about and what we uphold, hold on to. Yes. Or we can create our own suffering by not letting go and not being loving and compassionate to our fellow human being, irregardless of the circumstance. Mm. <laughs> Joy puts another comment and he said and she said I have reached out to her and she says he can come and see them alone they can't come to our home one is 21 now and he blames his father for everything and here it is you know one of the things that one of the things that I, I am concerned about with some of these parents that decide to adopt this method at some point the truth comes out that's right and their plans backfire yes and that's a concern because what is going to end up happening is more time than not it is just the fact that it backfired will kill that parent that's right And they don't see it. And time and time again it happens. Here it is, this 21-year-old blames his father for everything. And when he discovers the truth, now he ends up alone. Because ego will prevent him from going to his father and saying, well, hopefully not. (laughs) But more often than not we find that ego prevents one from going and saying you know i was wrong yes and then anger is going to have him turn to his mother and said you caused this so he ends up alone exactly right what happens then the cycle starts over absolutely so he takes his unresolved issues into his family dynamic if he has one 
and so to his children and his spouse and all of that is taken out on the next generation and it perpetuates the cycle and it only ends when we're teachable dr paul hextrom says if we're teachable it's fixable i had to be teachable but i had to destroy that ego in me i had to kill her and mm. I, I did a i did a sermon kevin and i and sometimes i get a little humorous and i know you won't mind because not at all it, sometimes these topics are heavy and so i just had to lighten it up and i went i went to a um a neighboring church that invited me to speak and i said you know what guys i have to i have a confession to make i i i killed somebody and i said listen i'm just telling you guys this so if you want to rat me out you'll never find her you'll never find the body mm. because i hid her she's well hidden and they just looking at me like what is she talking about and i said you know i had to kill that person that was so prideful she couldn't ask for help the mm -hmm. ego was so inflated that she was causing her own suffering she was so distrusting that she was losing good opportunities to love for real true love because the distrust i said i had to kill her and yeah. i said just in case you want to rat me out i hid her so well you'll never find her because i hid her in christ mm. i hid her body in christ so there's a scripture that i talked about after that i said you know the bible says we've been crucified with christ yet we live not not i but christ that lives within us so i had to literally do that so what does that look like? I had to take that ego, that part of me that just demanded justice for every injustice and say, I forgive. It's okay. I love you. And if you need something, I'm going to prove I love you. And I remember one year my son called me and told me his dad was having some hard things um, happening financially. He needed some help. I said, well, let me know because I will send money to you. And you tell your dad it comes from you and you give it to your dad to help because mm -hmm. love is action. Yeah. And, and faith without works is dead. So when you do these things, you raise your, I'll put it in, in a, a term that a lot of people uh, understand your vibration. You raise your spirit, you raise your level of understanding. And now you're able to understand and commune with the deeper aspects of what it means to be a human being. And, mm. and what it means to be a human being is more than about food or drink or sex or an entertainment or enjoyment. It brings you to a point where you see we are really one. We are one. And it, yeah. and, and it, it behooves us to, to understand our connectedness on this planet. And to be our brothers and our sisters keeper and to be kind and compassionate regardless of whatever happened to us to stop the cycle of violence stop the cycle of parental alienation and pain until the that goes into our innocent children and our grandchildren and just love and just love yeah. and that's why i love bart marley i love bart marley he mm -hmm. sung a beautiful song that says one love Mm -hmm. One love, one heart. That man was way before his time, by the way. Oh, yeah. Beyond his time. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I I went to high school with Stephen. He was uh, two years ahead of me. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Um, was it Was it Monroe? I, no, you went to. I went to Saint George's College. Okay, yeah, Kingston. Okay. Yes. And you know it's 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 true. And and if 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 there are a lot of messages in a lot of songs, and and Robert Nesta Marley O.M. has a number of those, and we don't even have to sing them; we just just read them, and. You read some of those words, you you apply some of what is said in that, and you 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 transpose it to to life as you know it. You look at 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 what you may read in the Bible, and you will see similarities. Absolutely, it is absolutely. You know, especially a song he did uh, called uh, "Redemption Song." Yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> there, there is so much healing that we have to do. And it doesn't, we can't do it unless we recognize the damage. And we, you and I tonight haven't even. I, I don't believe we've we've even just passed scratching the surface of what you've gone through and 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 the work that you've put in and how you've done it. I know that we have barely scratched the surface, and even in your book, I'm pretty sure you. You're pretty much just there, just scratching the surface. But how can people get a copy of your book? How can people get in touch with you? As as we kind of put a a, a bow on on tonight, you know, just putting a pause on it because it's, this is not the end of our dialogue. It doesn't end here. You will be back. Yes, sir. It would be my pleasure and an honor. And thank you, Kevin. And um, listeners can get the book on my website. It's sandramariaanderson.com. Um, you could read um, reviews that's there. And um, again, it's sandramariaanderson.com. And um, you can contact me actually on that website as well. There is a scrolling down at the bottom. It says contact the author and you can just email me right from there and the email goes directly um into my into my box and i can read your your comments and um actually sign your book for you and um and get it to you so and i'm happy to say um it is in uh south africa now Mm -hmm. it's in japan and it's in brazil um i'm so grateful to god and I'll finish where I started, Kevin. Yeah. I'm only here by the amazing grace of a compassionate and loving God. And 
for those who don't believe, I would just ask you to open your heart and ask him for yourself to show him himself to you. I promise you as I'm breathing on this phone, these words, he will. And in the words of uh, about Marley, he said, we must emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, he says. Mm-hmm. Only we can do that. Yes. God don't force us and no one's going to force us to do it. We have to choose to do it. And for me, it was a choice. And yes, spurred by many things, spurred by my foundation uh, of, of love, my mother, Lily, who who loved the Lord, who worked hard all of her life and loved God. And, and my children, who I saw start to display the same behaviors of their father and, and me. And that was enough to say no more. I'm going to free myself first from my own mental slavery of feeling I'm not enough, of feeling I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy because I'm more than worthy. I'm more than good enough. And we all are because we've been brought with a price, a high price. And 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 my faith, that price was the death of Christ on the cross for my sin, for my, redemp- my own redemption song that mm. I have sung in my, my book, Lessons from the Thorns. His grace is sufficient. Sandra, I want to thank you again for taking us on a journey into your life taking us on a journey into some of your experiences. And there's no way to, to, to walk through all that you have gone through in, in one night. But it, it gives us opportunity to give people an understanding of, of where it is that we're going whenever they see your name on a post that 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 you're going to be on as a guest on the night shift it gives an idea that you know that they need to come with open minds and expecting to to hear some hard hard hitting real stuff some real stories some life-changing events and 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 how they changed a life some unexplained stories like you finding your daughter when she when you had no clue nobody else had a clue no The, 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 the spirituality in your life and there are some that, 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 again, don't subscribe to a religion. And, uh, and I grew up Christian, and I'll say this, and, and I have probably lost some friends along the way as a result of it. I, I, I grew up in religion, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm religious. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, no, I'm but not I'm religious not religious at, at all. all. 
at not at all religion is as a filthy rag the bible says and it's it's the religious zealots that crucified christ by the way it was them that said how dare you heal that woman on the sabbath day and christ had to refer to an animal to help them understand this woman deserves to be healed no matter what day it is what if 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 your mule or if your 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 ox was stuck in a hole on the sabbath day wouldn't you not get them out christ had to use the analogy of an animal stuck in a hole for them to understand the mm -hmm. importance of him healing this woman on the Sabbath day. You see, Christ wasn't religious at all. We get it mixed up. He was not. Mm -hmm. And and neither am I, and I hear neither are you. So no. I think that um, I think the best is yet to come yeah. as we continue to excavate and help uh reconstitute our communities to love and to deal with themselves. We're too busy pointing fingers and throwing stones at people uh, for whatever reason our mind is telling us to do that. But we need to examine our own heart to be introspective of who we are as a human being before we can throw stones at someone else. I remember this is what made me fall in love with Christ. A woman was caught in the very act of adultery. I find it very convenient that they didn't bring the man since they mm -hmm. saw the act was. But that that's another story. She couldn't do that alone. Is, okay, <laughs> okay, Kevin. And the Lord said these words. He started writing in the dirt. Because they bought him. They bought her to him to set him up. Because he was always trying to set him up with their religious self. You know, mm -hmm. they're so pious and pompous and arrogant and he looked at them and he says listen you without sin i tell you what you go ahead and cast the first stone at her you don't have the one that don't have any sin mm -hmm. and they went away angry they dropped the stones because they was all ready to you know they had an appetite for a good stone in that day yeah they went away angry like you said that petri dish with hate growing in it, of that, in their heart. And you really helped me see it with that analogy, Kevin, because I know Petri dishes working mm. in the, working in the, in the nursing community. Yeah. But that's what their hearts collect, the heart of people with that hate. But look at Christ. He said, you without sin, you cast a first stone at, at her. And they walked away and he looked at her and he held her. And he said, where are your accusers? And she said, there, there, there's no one. And he said, I don't accuse you either. You go and sin no more. And then his very last act while he was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who would not want to get to know a man with such love and compassion, whether it's fiction or nonfiction? I don't particularly care. I want to subscribe to be like him. Mm. A man that's acquainted with our grief, yet so compassionate that he would heal a woman, that he would feed the hungry, that he would heal the sick, that he would hang around with wine bibbers and prostitutes and never judge them. Are you kidding me? It's funny. Are you really kidding me? You know, people, people in church, um, people in religion would often look down and chastise those that would party but jesus was went to all the best and the biggest parties 
Exactly, Kevin. <laughs> in fact, he turned water into wine at a party. Hey, uh, preach it. Preach it now. So, <laughs> he kept the party going. You know, <laughs> go ahead and be these religious zealots all you want. Preach religion and miss the, 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 miss the, miss the mark altogether. All together. You all can, together. You can do it all you want. That is between you and your God. That's right. That's right. And meanwhile, I will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And this is a very sensitive top topic that we can talk about the next show. But my oh, book sure. talks about all of my life, including sexuality. Because mm-hmm. when you've been traumatized, male or female, at a young age, you will have a... Um, a very confused sexual identity. So Mm. I grew up that way. So being an addict was not an issue for me. Mm. Men, women, both at the same time, call it whatever you want want to call it. My experience with sexuality was a very um, distorted perception. And frankly, I didn't care. I've had both and I was not uh, particularly um, subscribed to either or um, particularly uh, cared of of what you wanted to label me as. I don't care about labels at all. I think labels are just um, just as bad as a a correctional system that don't correct anything. Yeah, that's a broadcast in and of itself, labels. it, it, It really is. It really, really is. And when so in my work at the Florida Department of Health, I work with AIDS and HIV. I work with LGBTQ. I work with heterosexual, um, uh, uh, gender fluid, uh, transgender. Uh, um, I work with everyone, and I see myself in everyone, because I was there, and I have no stones to throw at anyone, even though I subscribe to what my faith says, which is I deny myself. I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow Christ in his way. Mm-hmm. So my my um, sexuality now is heterosexual because, but it's, it's not just heterosexual because I don't even believe in sex outside of marriage. So I have a certain standard, but my standards are Christ-centered standards. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't judge or... or um, discriminate against people who don't share my view because I was a person who once did not share my view. Yes. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. And it's, it's funny that you touched on that because I had totally forgotten. Someone had asked me, had, had sent me a message and saying, you know, I, I, I wonder how it is that she works with people in the LGBTQ community when she speaks such uh, in in such a uh, 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 I'm trying to remember if they said a religious way or a spiritual way. I, uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but um, it 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 pretty much leans more towards religion than spirituality. Absolutely, and I'm not religious, and, and I'm so glad I'm you 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 touched on that because <laughs> I had forgotten to to ask you about yeah. that to raise that. And and I'm really grateful that you touched on that. It's my pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to do that. And you give oh, me yeah. the freedom to touch on all these topics. And so 
with that, it just flows freely. And I've, I've had to deal with that um, with some people privately um, that talks to me about sexuality. And I'm yes. very open and vocal. And I wrote a book about it. And I talk about my sexuality. I talk about being a runaway. And my brother, Michael, ran away with me. And we wind up staying with a man named Rob. I'm sorry, uh, Rod, who shared a studio apartment with four mixed race same-sex couples, all male. Mm. And I remember uh, being there, and they never once asked us for anything, never once mistreated us, and never once made us feel any type of way other than welcomed until we got on our feet. And then my brother, in time, got a, a studio apartment on top of theirs. And that's when he, he ran away with me when I was 13 years old and pregnant. My brother Michael and I are very close. But that's just one piece that I point on in my book where I stayed with others and I was around a lot of other people, so-called religious people who made me feel like I had to walk on eggshells around them. Yeah. So you funny, can, isn't you know, it? Where's the love? Know, where, where exactly is the love? Where do okay, you find so, it? Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So I'm like Christ. Um, I'm not going to condemn anyone. And like he didn't con condemn that woman caught in the very act of adultery. And when he told her to go and sin no more, he still loved her and left it up to her. It was her choice to mm. do whatever she wanted to do with her life. And th that's the beauty of Christ. He says, you choose. I'm not going to make you choose. I make it rain on the just as well as the unjust. And mm. I know a lot of unjust people in the church, heterosexual, supposed to be loving God and living for God, but will be just as hateful and, yes. and, and gossiping and unloving mm -hmm. and won't give you the shirt off their back, but will stand in a $500 tithing line, but won't give you food to eat or fuss at the person in the parking lot yep. or scream at someone in traffic because they're going slow. Don't, you don't want to start with me because I will bring it to you. <laughs> I will talk about it. And, and break it down and make you understand it, okay? The self-righteousness that stinks in the nostril of God. I've had Buddhists love me and treat me with more love and respect mm -hmm. than certain so-called religious people in the church. And that's oh, yeah. the facts. Yeah. Yep. Where are your siblings now? So my, my beautiful sister, Linda... She lives in Tyrone, Georgia, with her husband, uh, Lonnie. Okay. And and their children. And um, she's doing wonderful. And yes. um, I love her dearly. She's, she's um, I have uh, reviews on Amazon, by the way. And I, I try to lead my readers to go on Amazon after they read the book and and uh, review the book for themselves. And I, I, bought, I bring that up because my sister, Linda... Uh, when she read my book, she was the, one of the first ones to go on Amazon and she wrote a review that brought me to tears because she walked this journey with me, part of it. Yeah. She lived the childhood with me, uh, some of it. And so she's in Georgia. My brother, Michael, yeah. he lives an hour from me. Uh, he lives in Fort Lauderdale and okay. he works as an armed guard for the government Nice. And um, he's still very, very close to me. He always calls me and check up on me. And he's he's still this uh, very humorous, loving big brother. 
And so he's doing very well. My brother Leon is a father and husband. He lives in uh, Fort Lauderdale as well. With my, He lives uh, not too far from my mother. They live about a, um, uh, a mile apart. Yes. But he lives in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I love him dearly. Um, he actually was going through a lot a few years ago. And he was on the verge of suicide. And so happened that I finished my book. And my book um, talks about my brother Leon a lot. Because my brother Leon was incarcerated mm-hmm. wrongly over a TV that they never found. And while he was incarcerated at 14, he was assaulted and violated in prison. His jaw was broken, mm. and this was over a, a television set that they say he stole that was never found. So this was in the time that they was incarcerating a lot of young African Americans. Yes, and you can see that in the movie called Thirteenth, the Thirteenth Amendment. Uh, this video was done by um, this amazing uh, female producer. But anyway, he went through a lot of trauma, and the year that I published my book was 2016. And uh, that's the year that he, I did not know he was going through a lot of um, trauma from our childhood as well. And I had the book and I was trying to find him and I couldn't. And something told me, find my brother. That's something I know it's the Holy Spirit. So let me not just say Mm -hmm. something. It was the Holy Spirit. And I found my brother walking, um, just lost, walking on the side of a road. I refuse to go back home. I live north and my family is south. Yeah. And I but I love my family dearly and I will I will go to the ends of the earth to to show them that I loved him and to do whatever I need to do. But anyway, I found him and when I saw him, he was crying. And he said, Sister he said, sis, he said, um, you know, what are you doing down here? And I said, I've been looking for you. And with tears in his eyes, he says, Well, I'm I just want to let you know I want to be cremated. And uh, I just want to be cremated. Just just know that and know that I love you. This really happened, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And I had his book in my hand already signed because when I wrote my book, I wrote it. I signed it for my family first and I gave them copies first. And I said, Leon, I said, I bought you something. I said, this is for you. I said, this is a book. I said, promise me you'll read it before you do anything anything um brass i said promise me you'll read it and he said i promise that night he read the entire book this my book is over 500 pages by the way Mm. he read the entire book and he called me in tears he said sandra you gave me a voice he said you put words to, to language i didn't have and he said thank you He said, I want to live. He said, I want to live. And that was since 2016. We're in 2021 right now. And he works two jobs in Fort Lauderdale and takes care of his kids. And um, he's a wonderful big brother. That's awesome. You know, I'd I'd love to meet your siblings one day. I would love you to meet them too. just, 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 if nothing else, just to be there among them you know just and and to know that two of them are in my neighborhood basically yes yes they are (laughs) you know it's yeah we we just have to meet at some point 
Um, and the pictures are in the book. So um, when you get the book, you'll see all the pictures. You'll see uh, my children, my grandchildren, um, just a, a, uh, my, my siblings, my sister Joyce, uh, who the book is dedicated to. Um, yes. My family's been through a lot, like so many other families. And I think, I think our story represents so many other stories um, in this country of the transgenerational trauma. But I think the difference that I want to put is no matter what, we can overcome adversity and trials and tribulations with faith, with faith and resiliency and putting um, just faith, faith as the size of a mustard seed, the Bible says, a mustard mm-hmm. seed, mm-hmm. very small. And, and God does the rest in our life. He will show up. He will. I'm, he's no respective person. I'm not so special that this is just my survival story. No. God loves each and every one of us. And we all have a story, if we're honest. And if we just get connected and in tuned to where all of our help comes from, according to Psalms 121, all of mm-hmm. our help comes from the Lord. And I just thank, I just thank God for saving me. And he's just my savior. He's my Lord. So he commands me. He commands my steps. And I live my life for him. And to honor him. And to show my gratitude. um, That he didn't just save me and my family. And kept my mother here all these years with me. And saved my father. My father gave his life to Christ before he passed. That's that's in the book. That's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. But... He's allowed me to also tell my story to help others, to bring yes. others to, to um, equilibrium uh, in their body, mind, and in their in their soul. And I'm grateful. Joy says she loves your laugh. You have an amazing laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Thank you so much. I can't wait to meet this beautiful woman. Uh, well, you, you, it's, it's quite a journey. <laughs> and and she has quite a story also. You you mentioned your 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 brother being wrongfully incarcerated. I I, I speak a lot on wrongful incarcerations. Um Richard Miles who 2019 was a CNN hero. Top, uh, yes, a CNN hero. Um, he was wrongfully incarcerated. I met him early in July 2019. I reached out to him and we spoke on the phone. Until today, we still talk occasionally on the phone. He has a, a whole um, organization in Houston called Miles of Freedom, and. Wow. I moved on from there. I spoke with two individuals who are fighting to regain their freedom from inside prison walls. I spoke with them. I've I've been speaking constantly with a um, um, consultant on the Rodney Reed case where he is accused of killing Stacey Stites. And I, I speak frequently with... And, and have him on this broadcast too, the consultant on that case. So I'm, I'm no stranger to wrongful incarceration, especially as it relates to those who are, are considered um, the minorities. One of them 
is the second conviction to be voided in U.S. history by a, a guy by the name of Dan Daniel Gutierrez out of Arizona. Yes. I, I spoke with him on this very broadcast. And, and you know, so it's, it's wrongful incarceration is not a stranger to me. The more I hear it, though, the more unbelievable it is that something like this happens. But it comes back to what we spoke about earlier in this very broadcast where we mentioned it being a money-making venture. So, you know, it, 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 it goes on and on and the cycle goes on. And it, it, it's, it's more than just one cycle. There, it's, it's, like, it's like gears in a machine where one yes. gear turns another gear, which turns another gear, which turns, turns another. Yes. And this is what happens. And this is how our society operates. Let's do our part to turn the right gears. That's it. And that's all that I try is. to do with this broadcast, all three of them. I just try to get the right gear turning. And they're all connected to various aspects of my personal life. So... And I'm so proud of you because it's very rare that you have someone that opens up the airways to have these types of broadcasts that are just so real and so raw, but so relevant and that you don't shy away from it, that we can lean in because sometimes it gets uncomfortable, especially for people who haven't heard of these levels of trauma. They get even worse. For yes. so many people, and as a counselor, I hear it, and I'm able to lean in and embrace it. I allow myself to lean in because I understand everyone has a story, and every story is important, every single one. And that story can have a different end. I just want to help you get the tools and the skills you need to choose your story and to choose the story that you want to end with because we have a choice. Yes. Oftentimes we didn't in childhood, but as we grow and mature and learn and become teachable, we can choose how our story ends. Mm -hmm. We can. And I thank God for people like you that have, have these broadcasts that give voice to it because someone that's in your listening audience can hear it and connect to it and say, wow, I'm not alone. <laughs> wow. That, that happened to me. Or that, that's something that, I, that, um, habits of someone I know from HIV to trafficking mm. to um, childhood sexual abuse to domestic violence. You know, mm -hmm. we are all living on this planet together. Yeah, and Joy said it. Joy said it uh, in, in, in the chats. You know, she said, thank you for not only being a strong woman, but for letting her know that she's not alone in going through some of the things that she's going through. You know, the, the, the not being able to identify with various emotions and, and working through that. And and Joy is 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 connected with that Rodney Reed case that I, I mentioned earlier. That's how I met her. I spoke with her yeah. on on as it related to something in that case. Yes. Yes. And, and she she shares my sister's name a little there and it means a lot to me just to hear her name mm -hmm. joy <laughs> yeah it means so much <laughs> she says see i told you people get mad because you say what people need to hear not what they want to hear <laughs> <laughs> that's very true that's very oh true. my goodness 
hey, listen, we could go on all night into the morning and, and do it all over again. And But we're going to save some for a, a, another time. Let's uh, do that. <laughs> thank you again. I can't thank you enough. Thank you again, Sandra. Thank it's you. my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to to coming back on even with um, maybe my siblings. And, um, oh, that would be awesome. And um, just sharing more time and space with you. And I just want to thank God for you and, and pray blessings and abundance um, in your life and your family because you're really doing such um, transformative work in having these types of, of series. So thank you and God bless yeah. you for having me. I thank you. I thank you. And it's, it's, it's my honor and privilege to, to have you with me. Um, you have a great night. We will be in touch. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful night and all my love to Joy and the other listeners. Oh, she gets it. She just put <laughs> she put her heart in, in, in the chat before you even said it. <laughs> See, you two you two need to meet. I, I need to I need to connect you two for real. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Hoping to be signing um, signing a book over to her as well. I would love her to read the story. And then I would love to, I'm a writing coach, so I teach my mentees uh, to write their own stories. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's really a twofold um, process when you write your own story. One is you're helping to set yourself free in a deeper way, and two, yes. helping to set others free as well that may share the same story as you. I think I told her once before that she needs to, to to document her life because that that's a story in and of itself. Yes, it is. And um, I would love to read it. I would love to be a part I, of it. You remember I mentioned on Monday about hearing about um, a friend of mine telling me uh, um, in 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 Oregon about the the trafficking and suspecting yeah. that government agencies or individuals working for the government are involved yes it was joy that i was speaking with wow so what? you talk about a strong woman in and of, her, of herself that's that's joy so you two definitely definitely need to meet it's something about those joys that are so strong she reminds me of my sister joyce because she was just a strong woman She's a beautiful, strong human being. So I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's happenstance. I don't think it's, Not at all. it's, um, it's, uh, I, I really think it's divine, uh, appointment that we meet and I'm looking forward to meeting her. Oh, I didn't know that Joy. And I, I, I speak, when we speak, we speak at, at length too. Joy is a freelance writer. Look at that. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> oh my gosh, and we're just talking about that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, listen. <laughs> Go get some rest. I'm going to get some rest. We'll talk later. Yes, we'll talk soon. God bless you. Right. Have a wonderful night. God bless. Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen. As we close out this night shift week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We go with the sound of Korik. Check it's called Give I Faith. And I want to remind you to look out for members of your community. 
And your community is not just development that you live in, but it spreads far and wide. So those that you pass on the bus, on the plane, on the boat, or the train, those that you, are, whether you walk, ride, or drive, these are members of your community. Do something good for one of them today because you never really know who's going to do something good for you tomorrow. My name is DJ Kevin Stewart, so I like to do it to you, for you, and with you. Join me again on, on, on Monday when I have uh, Tasha Simmons with me on in community and finance. And uh, those of you that, that, that uh, like to hear the DJ side of me, catch me on Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on ReggaeGlobalRadio.com. Until we meet again, again, my name is DJ Kevin Stew. We do this every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 10 till midnight Eastern, and occasionally a little bit beyond that. Y'all take care. All the best to you. I was going to say, well, for those of you who will go with it, stay safe. I was told recently, don't say stay safe, say stay a step ahead. And that's what we're going to go with. We're going to stay a step ahead. Y'all take care. Good morning, good afternoon, good day to you wherever you are in the world. From right here in South Florida, I bid you a good night. Cause my want is I'm in need that But listen to my prayer Cause we need you We mean that <laughs> But listen to my prayer now Tears them dread out the road I run red I'm in a if me I gon' make it work Road boys and police Running wild in the streets And it feels like a war zone Imagine me work so hard I can't let down my yard Cause robbers want to take my own but goodness and mercy will guide and protect me So me know so me not alone But I need faith to go on In Odisha, Gideon I need your strength to hold on Cause on my own I'm just not strong enough Give me faith to go on In Odisha, Gideon I need your strength to hold on Cause on my own not strong Greetings and salutations, one and all. You're invited to tune in to the Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew. It airs on Mondays with Community and Finance, Tuesdays with Healthy Love, and Wednesdays with Real Talk from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time. Come spend some time interacting in the stew pot where we keep things bubbling and wind down in musical therapy. The Night Shift with DJ Kevin Stew is on kevinstew.com where you're encouraged to have acceptance through enlightenment.